So this is how Liberty dies. With thunderous applause. This is Nettie, and you are not listening to the Balance of Star Wars podcast. You are listening to, well, apparently this is all going to be called Women of the Wills now. I changed the name from Nettie and the Nerfs. Um, I forgot who came up with the name. Somebody on Twitter, I was like, hey, pitch me a name. I'm not really feeling this whole Nettie and the Nerfs thing, you know, like, I'm, I just wasn't feeling it. And I, he suggested... Uh, Women of the Wills, and I was just like, ooh, I like that, alliteration, I'm a literature nerd, I'm an English major, yes, let's do that, so, yeah, uh, Women of the Wills it is, and with me today, I have not one, not two, but three special guests with me, if you guys would just introduce yourselves, say your names. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Katie, uh, you probably know me as at Dameron on Twitter, and Nettie is like my best friend here, actually everyone here is my best friend on Twitter, I love you guys, hi. <laughs> We're all best friends. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, Go for it. I'm, yeah, take it. <laughs> Go for it. I'm Megan, um, you might know me as Maggie Froggy, I don't have many followers, so yeah, but. Follow um, her. I kind of found Nettie on accident, and here I am. I'm, you know, Padme Stan. This is my life. Oh, man. Padme forever. <laughs> yes, definitely. Good introduction for me. <laughs> I'm Tammy, uh, at Ben's Calligraphy on Twitter, um, Ben Solo's Calligraphy set everywhere else. Obviously, I am a Ben Solo's <laughs> Calligraphy set stan, but I am also a Padme stan, and the Phantom Menace is definitely one of my favorites yes. of the Star Wars movies, so. Yes, we're all living the Phantom Menace life. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, real quick before we get started, um, what we're doing today, guys, is this is going to be the first of three in a series, in a trilogy, haha, uh, about the prequels uh, that we're going to be doing on here. And I'm going to be doing each episode on each prequel film. This episode is going to be about the Phantom Menace, as you could see from the title when you clicked on this podcast, and (laughs) the next one, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, so on and so forth. So 
Each podcast, each episode, I'm going to have these three lovely ladies with me, and we're just going to geek out about the prequels, and yeah, we're just going to have a lot of fun. So, out of all four of us, probably, I gotta say, Katie takes the cake for being the number one Phantom Menace (laughs) stan that there ever was. So, Katie, um, I want to let you start off by saying, first of all, why the Phantom Menace? Why is it your favorite? Oh, it just it just is. I think I was the perfect <laughs> age when the Phantom Menace came out. Um, I I was that like that perfect um, you know uh, generation of Star Wars fans where uh, you know we had the original trilogy. Um, you know, in, in the in the late '90s, and then all of a sudden we have brand new Star Wars, and but we're only like 10, 11, 12 years old, and just everything at school suddenly becomes Star Wars. Everything is the Phantom Menace. You know, we we know the story of Luke and Leia. Like we we had an idea of what Star Wars is and how you should play Star Wars, but then the Phantom Menace just like punches its way onto the scene, <laughs> and is like, oh, you thought you knew what Star Wars was? Now Star Wars is this, and you got Padme now. And you got Darth Maul and you have all these new things to play with, all these new games to imagine adventures to go on. And it just captured my imagination. It grabbed me and it like, it is, it's never, ever let go. Um, you know, of course I got the Phantom Menace on VHS as soon as it came out and I watched it all the time. Um, I remember sitting there, uh, with the <laughs> sitting in, at the VCR player and hitting the, the, the slowdown, like frame by frame, watching the duel of the fates, because I was just like, <laughs> grabbed by it I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen and just love it visually, <laughs> love yeah, definitely and visually for its time when it was released mm-hmm. it was just it was a major milestone as far as technology and everything goes especially uh if you haven't listened to Sky Talkers um trilogy on George Lucas their last episode is about him during the prequel era and it's just it's wonderful the stuff that he did for films in general like everywhere mm-hmm. in america worldwide he pushed the technology forward you through the prequels basically oh absolutely yeah. we wouldn't have snoke if we didn't have jar jar exactly yeah. oh my god and jar jar's real to me yes. like, I, it's yes. not it so is Watto. oh my gosh the <laughs> the the technology that they use to bring Watto to life and the practical effects, you know, people give the prequels such a hard time. It's like, well, why is everything CGI? Where are the practical effects? And I'm all like, uh, the fact that Liam Neeson's hair flutters when Watto flaps his wings. He's great. That's, oh my gosh, it's great. (laughs) great. Watto is real. It was was revolutionary. These films were revolutionary for other films. It was revolutionary for Hollywood. Watto is real. Yes. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> uh Megan, you also had some thoughts about the Phantom Menace in general, I believe. I probably have a like my my story is the total opposite of Katie's because I was three and a half when the movie came out and oh. I was I was raised on the original trilogy. Like if my if you mentioned Star Wars, my mother, she will tell you that when she was ten years old, she got to see Star Wars at the Chinese theater in Hollywood and like awesome. you know. So I was a original trilogy child, like as as I should be. But when my sister and I were little, we had this thing where we didn't share favorites. So like if she liked Belle, I had to like Jasmine. If she liked Leia, <laughs> yep. I had to love Padme. But when I was three and a half, I had the Padme costume and I was seeing her everyone. I was like, there's a really pretty queen and she's a Star Wars queen. So that's how I got like obsessed with Star Wars characters. It was Padme from the very beginning before I like 
understood any of it. Um, and then growing up, like my dad and I would play the Lego Star Wars game, and like my favorite levels were always the Phantom Menace levels. So I just became obsessed with the movie, became obsessed with everything about Phantom Menace, and then <laughs> the prequels in turn. But yeah, it's always been like there because it was just as much part of my life. Star Wars wise as the original trilogy was because I was just that age when I started. So exactly, Jamie, did you have any thoughts? Oh yeah, uh, I have many thoughts, <laughs> okay. but I'll try to condense it. So um, I wasn't crazy about the original trilogy before the Phantom Menace came out. I was maybe six, seven, eight. My brother was a couple years older um, than me, and Star Wars is like his thing. We would play Star Wars, and he would make me pretend to be Princess Leia. He would pretend to be Darth Vader. I don't know. He. Was- <laughs> No judgment here, though. <laughs> but um, <laughs> later on, he uh, w- when the Phantom Menace came out, it kind of switched where I was like, I really took ownership of Star Wars at that time. I was like, you know, Star Wars is something that I like now. And um, I, if the Phantom Menace is what really swayed me as a kid, and um, I completely fell in love with um, Anakin. I was like a year younger than his character that he portrayed, and I was just, I thought he was the cutest boy in the Aww. whole world. <laughs> I would stand in front of the television as the family watched The Phantom Menace and literally, like, make excuses for his lines if they were awkward or weird. I'd be like, it's all right, it's, he, he didn't mean that. And Yeah. I, Skywalker yeah. apologist since the beginning, it's true. But, um, and, and then, you know, Padme was also really, really inspiring inspirational for me too and um as I grew up I um was able to put words to how important it was to see her on the screen um and all the things that she did throughout um the whole prequel trilogy mostly Attack the Clones and the Phantom Menace so I found her um she just meant a lot to me so the prequel trilogy kind of is what made me think you know hey Star Wars is for me and not um just something my brother likes <laughs> exactly it's true and you'll find that's like I, I've spoken to a lot of other female fans, and I find that The Phantom Menace was that kind of turning point for every, almost every female Star Wars fan that I've spoken to, personally, that once the Padme on screen gave them that, you know, representation that they needed to really latch on and comprehend these stories, and not comprehend the story, you understand what I'm saying, like, latch yeah. onto it, yeah. You don't need a female character in there to understand what the story's about, but you get what I'm saying, you, they yeah. have, they Me see themselves are. on screen, they can put themselves there, and that's why The Phantom Menace was so important, and that's why it was important to me, too, as a kid, watching it at my grandmother's house on VHS, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah those were the only two, uh, Attack of the Clones and The Phantom Menace were the only two movies that she had in her house. So every time I was over there, she did not have cable. I would put those things in the VCR, <laughs> and I would watch them. I would watch Absolutely. them. Yeah, she had the plastic toys, too, like the little creatures that were in the um, the arena fight in Attack of the Clones. Oh, Clones. my gosh. She had those, and I would like be sitting there playing with them, like watching the watching the movie. <laughs> uh, I was like, eh. You know, I didn't know what it was until I got a little older. It was The Force Awakens that really like brought me back to it. But, yeah. So my story is pretty much the same, though. So, Okay. Now, now we can begin. <laughs> what a wonderful introduction. Okay, so, like I said, we're, this whole trilogy of podcast episodes that we'll be doing is basically going to be, well, 
reasons why the prequels are so important. This this is why they're important. This is because the story that they tell is important, and we'll also be uh, delving into the symbolism uh, in them, connecting them to the sequel trilogy characters, which is very important, and also uh, foreshadowing. There's a lot of foreshadowing in these things that go on. Um, that the other night I was watching the Phantom Menace and live tweeting and. I saw some stuff that made me cry because I was like, oh, my gosh, they they did that. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that. But anyway, so let's start with the opening. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. <laughs> I have a bad feeling about this. I, have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> I just I'll, love that that's his first line in the entire saga is same. that one phrase. And it's perfect. Like, that oh it was God, him that said it? Yes. They're home. Yeah. Oh, man, you guys make me feel so old. But I remember like sitting in the theater, you know, as a kid and that line happens. And then like everybody just started laughing and cheering. Like, yeah, I have a bad feeling about that. Everybody's like, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Oscars. Oscars everywhere. (laughs) It's nice. Um, Backing up a tiny bit. So the title Phantom Menace, when I was little, I always thought Phantom Menace meant mall. Same. And same. That was like. It took me a long time, like, into, like, you know, being a teenager, like, oh, wait, it's not mall. And I was looking around. (laughs) If it's Sidious, Sidious isn't even in any of the posters. Palpatine and Sidious aren't on any of the posters, so he truly is the Phantom, because he's not (laughs) even there. Because he's not even there, right. The hollow, you know, you see with all his pulling all the strings, but he truly is the Phantom. That so is I true. Love that. I love that so much because it speaks to this. Uh, I love that title, The Phantom Menace. And, you know, of course, when Obi-Wan looks at Maul, he thinks like, oh, this is the guy. This is the evil I need to defeat. But killing Maul accomplishes nothing. Does right. nothing yep. to, to, you know, um, it, to disarm the threat. You know what I mean? The Phantom Menace is still out there. It's this, the unseen enemy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's been a theme in Star Wars for the longest time because, of course, Luke, you know, um, on Dagobah when he went into the tree and he thought there could be nothing more right and, yes. and it, you know, justified mm-hmm. than killing Darth Vader, this great symbol of evil. And, but then, of course, he cuts him down and sees his own face inside because, you know, the Force is trying to tell him that when we kill someone, even someone we think we have every reason to hate, we are killing a part of ourselves. And so this idea of the Phantom Menace, you know, out, out of the gate, it's the title of episode one. Right. It's just <laughs> telling us, you know, it's it's telling us so much. And I, I love this movie. So many people miss it. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. And yep. connecting that, surprisingly, to the sequel trilogy, um, mm-hmm. the title of The Phantom Menace has always intrigued me in the fact that if you look up what the definition of the word phantom is, phantom can be seen as like a spirit or something that haunts a certain place or somebody. I've always mm-hmm. connected that to that one line in The Last Jedi, since The Last Jedi came out, See You Around, Kid, I'll Always Be With You Just Like Your Father, kind of like, you know, that phantom kind of spirit that's, like, following you around of this grief. And really, that's what, obviously, Ben Solo has that big time. He's got that bad. And I've always thought that's, it really has nothing to do with each other, but I think that's interesting, you know, how... It's a thread that connects everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Red thread, right? Okay. Uh, (laughs) I had to go. Don't make me go on a rant. I won't. I won't. All right. um, Continuing on, unless you guys had any more thoughts, um, I wanted to point out the one of the first lines that Qui Gon says. 
uh, first exchange kind of really between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, where Obi-Wan's speaking, and Obi-Wan says, like, when they're in the little thing about to meet the Nemoidians, which they never do, uh, he says, Master Yoda says to be mindful of the future, but not at the expense of the moment. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. That's what Qui-Gon tells Obi-Wan. I always found that so applicable to Luke Skywalker. Because mm-hmm. always his mind on, never his mind on where he was, what he was doing, what Yoda tells him all the time. Like, you know, keep your concentration here and now where you belong. You know, I think that's so cool how they made that rhyme like that. Um, the same repeating beats. And Obi-Wan was the same way, you know, as Luke was. And they all started out the same way. I always think it's so interesting how Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Luke all start out that same kind of way, that same kind of impulsive, impulsivity, I guess, is in all of them. And the, they're always looking ahead, you know, their their gaze is always up and forward, but never, like, right, you're looking on the ground before they see, trip on a rock and hit their face. Yeah. It happens <laughs> to all of them. So, I thought that was interesting. Oh, well, um, yeah. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say it's oh. also interesting to uh, just consider the ideas of the future versus the present. And when you're thinking about the fact that it's a prequel and we already know what's going to happen... Um, it's also interesting to consider that in a meta point of view, um, just to think about, you know, the future is basically already set, at least from the audience point of view. So being in, the present the versus being in the future right. is interesting. Yeah. And yeah. then the other thing, I, so I have a whole uh, idea, you know, once we get into whole the whole midichlorian thing later, which we're talking <laughs> about, um, is like symbiotic relationships, I think is really important Um not only in this movie, but in all the Star Wars movies, um, things that are connected but are opposites and are um, important and influence each other. And one of those examples would be the future and the present. So um, just introducing that idea early on. So every time I can come in, you know, when we mention something later, I'll be like, symbiotes. That's so true. You are so right. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, Go ahead. The, talking about the, you know, how Luke and Obi-Wan and Anakin are so reckless and not paying attention to the present i almost think qui-gon's over balancing it in the other way he's so attuned to the present that he doesn't look at the future and in the entire galaxy is trying to tell him not to train this boy <laughs> yeah you know literally everything the force can possibly throw in anakin's way is getting ignored by qui-gon and even <laughs> yoda at the end is like this is a terrible idea <laughs> yeah come on now I sense a dark future, and Qui-Gon's all like, nah, bruh, it's fine. <laughs> there, honestly, I, to, I, go ahead. I think there is a balance there that they don't find, and Qui-Gon is the extreme opposite, and you're right, he does, you know, it's beautiful how they mirror that Yoda's words, but, like, Qui-Gon also kind of takes it a little too far, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and definitely, yeah, yeah. that's like, never more... Balance is important. Yeah, <laughs> the balance. But um, that's never more <laughs> evident to me in this film and when the dice, the chance cube, chance cubes are rolled. Yes. Yes. We'll get into that later, though. Later. Yes. Okay, we'll wait. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, moving on. Uh, we get to see the Nemoidians talking. Uh, they're like, I'm not going in there with two Jedi. Send a droid. They try to poison gas them. Send a droid, <laughs> yeah. And they send the little protocol droid goes in there. TC-14's face when they say send a droid, she, like, <laughs> looks at them. I and know. It's hilarious. I love it. She has no, there's no, like, wipe that dubious expression off your face. Like, right. she, like Leia says, like, how can droids do that? I lo- That's why I love Star Wars, because they give, like, these things with faces that don't change. Their facial expressions don't change. Right. But somehow they do. 
I don't know. Right. But I it's love so how cool. they've been addressing um, more recently in some of the books and things that have come out, like the and and the solo movies, just like the humanity of droids. Droid right. Yeah. And, um, how they. <laughs> Um, they have these personalities and maybe they're people too. So I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. So mm. they, the droid goes in, the gas is released and such, and they fight the battle droids, Roger, Roger, <laughs> they get blasted. And can I make one? I have to do it at least once. Okay. One Disney reference. Okay. Um, when they say, They've gone in the ventilation shaft. I always think of Lilo and Stitch. No matter what, I will think of Lilo and Stitch. Because the way they say it and they look up, it's just like when he's in the ventilation or like when he's hiding. Yeah. That's, that's so my, true. No matter what. And so I'm imagining Qui-Gon and Stitch like crawling around, like about to destroy everyone. So. Oh my God, he would. I like my that. little tidbit. Sorry. I will think of that every time now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. Um, wait, one other thing oh. we did pass over to, uh-huh. um, one of the first things we hear Sidious say is, I will make it legal. Like, that's true. <laughs> that's one of the first things he says in this entire movie. And immediately, like, it's it's terrifying in the current context of the universe to, like, see a character who's so above the law be just, like, accepted and passed over and, like, we no one else notices yet. But yep. here he is controlling people and doing it without any consequence yet. Exactly. And he's just like, I'm above the law. It's totally fine. This will totally happen the way I want it to. And it does. Yeah. For 30 years, just about. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was going to give a reference to this earlier, but um, I, I think it's a lot of the discussion that we're having about the prequels. Um, we have to keep in mind that the prequels are ultimately a tragedy and everything mm-hmm. is getting up to very tragic events. Yes. So, um, and and it, to see all that foreshadowing early is, it's always gets me. It hurts. <laughs> like it does. It really does hurt. It definitely does. Definitely does. And speaking of foreshadowing, I've always thought that Padme's introduction, which has come comes right now, that uh, <laughs> most iconic, most iconic thing ever. And I think it's so great the way that she's introduced. She's just sitting there on her throne, and she's like, "You will not be so pleased to hear what I have to say, Viceroy." Like. <laughs> Going ahead and getting it done, like telling and him, it's yes. her too. It's actually her. It's, it's actually her. Boy. Exactly. And you know. Okay, hold on. Pause. It took me forever to tell the difference between Natalie Portman and Kara <laughs> Knightley, and I finally figured it out like a few years ago that uh, um, Natalie Portman has like a little mole thing right here, right. She and Kara Knightley doesn't. That's I know it's gonna make you feel better. But. The way I tell them apart is like, can you visibly see Natalie Portman in the shot with good. Queen Amidala? If yes, that's true. Then that's Sabe. That's true. If no, it's Padme. Like you have to. That's true. She's I don't know. There. If this helps, apparently their moms got them confused too. Yeah, when I, I saw that. This. So if that. Uh oh. I was obsessed Uh-oh. with Bennett like Beckham, so you know. Yeah. I, yeah, I got them confused all the time. Can you repeat that one more time? You cut out. <laughs> oh, I did? Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, You're fine. Their moms couldn't tell them apart. Yeah, like, you, we got that. Oh, what else did I say then? Something after that. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I think I mentioned Bennett like Beckham, how I was obsessed with both of them, and I was confused all the time because Natalie Portman was Karen Knightley, and then I was just like... And, yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Just <laughs> what else, I don't sure, know what else I said. Just making sure I didn't skip over anything important. Okay. All right. 
So yeah, Padme's introduction. Um, whew, okay. First of all, I want to, I don't know if anybody has listened to, if you guys ever listened to uh, What the Force. They're a podcast run by a girl called MC Gold, and she's wonderful. She does all this great stuff, uh, symbolism in heavy, heavy detail, and it is truly wonderful. And the last uh, episode that they released was a podcast on the symbolism of masks. And I thought it was interesting how that related to Padme's introduction, because in a way, she does have one on in that moment of the whole regala of the queen, you know, the face, uh, the makeup and everything like that. It's her, but it's not really. And that's because of like Nabu, you know, tradition and stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of stuff Very that they do like that their monarchs do. Yeah, it's like a persona. Very yeah. much a persona. Right. Habits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I, I've always thought that was, like, so... It's so interesting how she's introduced in that way, but whenever we first see Anakin in here, which we'll get to his introduction later, but he's just there, like, as a little right. boy, as he is already. And I think that speaks a lot to how he ends up later in life, where he doesn't remove the mask, literal mask, that he has on until the very end. And yeah. I think that's sad. But cool. Yeah. Beautiful. And he's very much, uh, like, he's almost, he's, like, 100% Anakin in this movie. And then, like, in the original trilogy, like, you're saying he's, like, 100% Darth Vader, almost. Right. And then it's it's a very big contrast to, say, the sequel trilogy um, and Kylo Ren and how much he's not 100% Kylo Ren or 100% Ben Solo, almost like a... I don't know what what percentage you would put it down, but it's not 100. <laughs> right, right, right. I'll give it 50-50. 100, <laughs> Ben, when he's around Ray, usually. But anyway, <laughs> okay. So, if anybody had anything else to say about Padme, real quick. I mean, well, I mean okay, right for now. this <laughs> first part, for this first part, we'll get, there's more later, trust me. But, um, um, I think one thing um, would, I just want to mention real quick is that even, even, the persona is so different even in her speech patterns. It's like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Very different from her more casual self. Well, there's a lot in the entire galaxy really about, you know, like the Imperial speech and like the way if you're from one of the inner worlds and you speak like, you know, the quote unquote British accent that we know Mm -hmm. is the, just that that class distinction and the way she forms her speech when she's queen is so different than casual Padme. Right, and, and it's, that's it's, actually part of Nabu tradition as well, especially since right. she's 14 years old when she takes the throne. Um, the whole idea, the reason why she wore those huge dresses and stuff like that, uh, if you didn't know, was because that's kind of to hide her age, uh, right. uh, how young she is, but also the speech is also tradition as well. Um, for that. Traditionally, uh, Naboo monarchs are young, so that's why it's traditional for them to wear these big, heavy things for them to appear appear larger than they actually are, and older (laughs) as well. Because she's tiny. Yeah, really tiny. (laughs) (laughs) Really tiny. And adorable. Okay, so (laughs) next after that, uh, we get some more Nemordians talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan get away and they're hiding in the ship and Obi-Wan's like, you were right, Master. Negotiations were short. (laughs) And, (laughs) um, and then they get off the ship 
And then we and have my boy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jar Jar. Jar Jar. Okay, I'm going to take this point. To, I'm going to say this once. But for compassionate people, they're totally racist. Like, I am so sorry, but they see the sentient being and they're like, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. Uh, but I, I, at the same time, I can understand because Qui Gon's just like, get out of my way. I have right. more important like, stuff to do. Attached. You know? well, yeah. Okay. He's running for his life from this giant tank, and here's someone who is like, I'm just gonna let it hit me. This is fine. You know? I'm just gonna walk right you know, here. He doesn't, he doesn't have the brains to get out of the way, and so of course Qui Gon's like. Stop following me. Making my way downtown, (laughs) see a big tank, walking faster, get slammed. But yeah, so yeah, that's when we meet. That's when we meet Jar Jar. But that's actually that whole scene that you're talking about when the the forest is like getting demolished by this huge tanks and stuff like that. Um, That's those are the the beginning of the separatists, I guess. uh, Trade Federation. That's what they're called in this movie. That they're invading Naboo. And I've always seen that as a huge symbol for the prequel trilogy. The fact Mm. that this pure planet is being overrun by this dark force and it's helpless and has no defenses. We have no army, which is what Panaka says later. I think that that's like a big, huge symbol for Anakin Skywalker in this movie because he's like he starts out as this pure kid that we see later on. Um, but he's overrun completely by the dark side of the force. Um, and he, he really is defenseless against it because the reason why he's doing it or this, why he's telling himself he's doing it is because of Padme, uh, to save her life. So I don't know. I've always seen that as like, that's kind of, I don't know if I'm reaching with that, but that's the way I've always seen it. So I don't know if I mean, you guys had any thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's definitely like a Star Wars theme for, you know, machine versus nature. Like, of course, you know, these things have to balance each other. But this idea that episode one starts with, you know, this big droid force coming down and, as you say, just demolishing this, you know, this planet just resplendent with nature. And then episode six ends with the Ewoks overcoming right. the stormtroopers, you know. Um, you know, this very, you know, they would say primitive, you know, people, uh, you know, over overwhelming the tanks, you know, all, all, the, all these great machines that the Empire has. Um, I, I definitely think that's a theme. I don't think you're reaching at all. Right. It's uh, they're saving what they love instead of destroying what they hate. True. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and also calling back to what Tammy said about the symbiotic relationships and the balance. Like here we have a planet that's in perfect balance. The, the Naboo and the Gungans coexist seemingly like you know naively not aware of each other but they do coexist and this planet is totally fine to house both of them with their own respective even advanced societies and the one thing that throws the balance and makes them you know work together is this outside force coming right Mm -hmm. and that parallels with the ewoks as well in indoor what you were saying Mm -hmm. uh katie with like the primitive uh native people like the Ewoks parallel the Gungans in that way. So yeah. That that definitely that definitely makes sense. Okay. Thank you for validating. Yeah. The <laughs> Napu and Gungans were on my list of symbiotic relationships. Yes. Yeah. Oh definitely. Yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So I wanted to segue just a little bit uh for like two minutes uh about the music. Uh up to this point 
we've had a lot, like, you know, like, the whole just clashing, clanging cymbals and French horns galore and stuff like that are in this film especially. If you, I'm, I play, I play instruments. I don't know if you guys do. I, 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 fiddle, I was a music major, fun fact. I fiddle on the piano <laughs> and I was trying to learn the violin a while back and the guitar, but French horns, I've always, like, you know, I, the, I, if you look at the rest of, like, the, if you look at the rest of the trilogies, especially the original trilogy, um, you'll notice there's a distinct lack of those, not, not lack, but there's definitely not as much of these, like, you know what I'm talking about, what French horns are, right, what they sound like, that whole, that kind of thing. Um, well, yeah. um, the two things they're used for in the original trilogy are the Force theme right. and Leia's theme. Exactly. Those are, like, the two... And I think, I'm sure he's, I read this quote somewhere, like, you know, like, I think, Nettie, in your notes, you say, like, you know, French horns are, they symbolize beauty, and um, they, John Williams knows that, and right. has said that he knows that, so he uses them very poignantly for Leia when she's doing the R2. Exactly. Um, in the beginning, and mm-hmm. for Luke, too. Um, but you're right, that back, when it comes back to this film, it's interesting because John Williams has already composed the original trilogy. He already knows exactly where he wants them to go. So to be able to call those things back for the prequels, I think is so like fortunate that that's how that worked out. Definitely. Definitely. And it, yeah, like I said, it symbolizes the beauty and fragility of nature. And like I said earlier, um, we were talking about like the purity and stuff like that in terms of Anakin Skywalker. Uh, They're so prevalent in this film, I think because he's at his most pure state. I think mm-hmm. in this film, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, again, I don't know if that's like, reaching or not, but that's the way Republic I read it. Well. Go ahead, Tammy. I, I was just saying the whole. I think the whole Republic is also in its um, most pure state that we've seen. Like the whole, um, as far as right. you know, or its galaxy, um, there's just these this couple Sith that are not <laughs> done anything of note as far as we know. Right. Um, but yeah, it, I think that also has to do with like the, the state of the whole galaxy as well. And, um, it's, it's pretty interesting to track the state of the galaxy and Anakin's fall um, paralleling each other as well. Yeah, well, that's something we've seen talked about in the sequel trilogy, where all of these things you know, exist outside of Rey. You know, the you know peace, <laughs> balance, light, darkness. Uh, you know, she's up there uh, with Luke talking about um, you know uh, you know death and destruction. All of these things exist in the world. But then they're also inside of her. Inside right. of her is that same force, that same balance. So then, you know, if we accept Anakin is the chosen one, you know, he has the highest midichlorian count. He is, you know, this this virgins of the force. Then, of course, all these things that are happening inside the, in the galaxy are also happening inside of him, which mm-hmm. I think is very, very interesting. I think, and I think it's a deliberate theme in this movie and in the rest of Star Wars as well. Definitely, it definitely yeah. is deliberate. Uh, when you mm-hmm. see it, like, you know, put out there that much, like, you know, mm-hmm. they put it across more than once. Yeah, they're definitely trying to get a point across. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely agree. Okay, so after they find Jar Jar and they talk to Jar Jar for a little while and then Qui-Gon <laughs> insults him, uh, they end up following him uh, to the underwater city. It's a hidden city. So they go down there <laughs> with Jar Jar. They go under the water. And I... The, the city's underwater. 
It's in like this big bubble thing. That's where Jar Jar's from. I love that. It looks so cool, by the way. It just does look gorgeous. Super cool. shot. Oh my Definitely. god! One of my favorite Star Wars locations. It's Definitely. So it's really best. Pretty. Also, best scene in Star Tours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Definitely super cool. But the um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if people have ever latched onto this idea, but I've always found it really cool how they are going. Like, this, the city is underwater, and to get there, you obviously have to go underwater. The act of going down into water, like, as we see in The Last Jedi when Rey goes down, that's the symbol of a change that's about to occur. That mm-hmm. means something's going to happen. That's in popular literature. It's in uh, a bunch of myths and legends and stuff like that. When you go down into the water, you come back out, something's going to be different. Something's going to change. That means something's going to happen. Something changes here. And that's a huge symbol because that's what this whole film is about. This whole film is about the tipping point and the change that happens. This is the beginning, uh, the fulcrum, if you will. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, of the beginning of Star Wars Saga as we know it. And everything that could go wrong will go wrong, so on and so forth. But yeah, a lot of good things happen too. So this is that kind of symbolizes it to me, the going down under the water uh, in this part. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart because I remember in that scene, you know, Jar Jar is freaking out so bad. He's so scared and there's so many monsters, you know, mm-hmm. and they get so close to being eaten so many times. Yeah. But Qui-Gon isn't afraid at all because he says the force will guide us. So, you know what I mean? The force is guiding them through this like terrible darkness through the water. And then when they come back up, things, you know, are, are about to change as you say. Right. So I think that's so smart. I never really thought about it that way, but it, it fits. Yeah, and you mentioned the monsters under the water, too. That's also another thing where Qui-Gon says, uh, there's always a bigger fish. That's a big (laughs) metaphor for the entire Star Wars saga. There's always a bigger fish. First, it was the Sith, then it was the Empire. Today, it it is the First Order. There's always going to be something happening, something going on. And what we're hoping for, fingers crossed, uh, for the end of this trilogy, is that some sort of a balance is achieved somehow. But, yeah. So, so this whole back and forth can finally stop because, like Qui-Gon says, there's always going to be a bigger fish. Can we stop with the big fish already? Can we, like, just live <laughs> happily? But anyway, so, yeah, there was that. Um, then after that, after they come out of the water, uh, they go... This is, oh, go ahead. Before the next plot point happens, there's that shot of Padme. And I wanted to talk about this shot because go ahead, it's that's what I was... shot in the entire movie. Oh, yeah. man. It's... it's the wide shot of her standing alone yeah. in the window. And <laughs> That's what I was about to get into. Out, before they zoom in on her, it's just her in her red dress in the middle of this. And she looks so small. And what we've seen of her so far has been that mask that we were talking about where she's in her headdress and on that big screen and looking much older than she is. But in this one four-second little bit here, we see her alone not no handmaidens no panaka no nothing alone looking out the window she sees the invasion army and she just looks down and closes her eyes and it's just like but beneath all of this behind all of the masks and whatever she is still just a very young queen and she does have power she does have purpose and she does love her people and her planet but she is very much small and alone exactly and that's kind of the first time you you were talking about the mask that's kind of the first time we see underneath it um and i yeah you were talking she looks she does look so tiny even in that huge dress 
Like, so if, small, I don't know if you guys have uh, had, a, had a nice look at the, the Phantom Menace script, but um, it says uh, the queen watches helplessly from the window in the palace. Oh, so, mm-hmm. uh, my heart. The uh, <laughs> operative word there. Really oh. sad. Oh. Did you get fun bit of trivia? Did you guys know that in that scene, Natalie Portman is standing on a car battery? Really? <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, the you know the the lights at the bottom of her dress. You know, I don't think they're supposed to be lights, but they're supposed no, to. No, but they're you like know, translucent, like, so yeah, they yeah. catch light. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the only way they could get them to light up is if Natalie Portman oh, had right. a yeah. car battery. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I wow. did see that actually. I went to uh, the Star Wars Art of Costume exhibit at my local museum when it came through uh, this past oh, year, cool. and they had her red dress there, the one that Natalie Portman actually wore. And they had like this car battery right next to it, and I'm like, "What is that?" But now that you say that, now I remember that. Now I remember reading that on the thing. I'm like, "Oh, that's so cool!" I'm like, "Yeah, okay, that's how it works." But yeah, it was overwhelming. There was like an entire room upstairs that you would go, and it's just Padme's costumes. Oh my god! Oh my it was god! Wonderful. Oh, I had so much fun. I took my drawing pad and I was drawing like all the costumes, and I had this one museum worker come come up to me and he's like what are you doing and I'm like I'm drawing and he's like I've never seen anyone do that before and I'm like this is an art museum don't people do that all the time but whatever he's like that's cool I guess and I'm like more common you. in art museums yeah well I would think it would but be, those costumes are art yeah. so yeah yes. the art of costume that's what the exhibit was called so yeah <laughs> yeah I would say it's so like, it's in the title hi but anyway so yeah Okay, so after, uh, like I said, after the whole water thing, uh, we get that shot of Padme, like you were saying. And this is the part now where Padme uh, gets rescued by Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And I didn't really have too much to say on that myself. I don't know if you guys did. Um, um, right before that, when the, when the Trade Federation captures the Queen, they capture, that's the first time we see the decoy. Right. They okay. got yeah, captured right. Sabe instead of Padme. That was just my one note. This is the only time, or the first time we see that switch. Yeah, and if I miss anything, by the way, please do, like, stop me and tell me what I'm missing. But, thank you. Alright, so, yeah, they rescue Padme, they slice some droids up, and... <laughs> yeah. Where are you taking them? To Coruscant. <laughs> to Coruscant. Uh, that uh, uh, does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> that does uh, not compute. Uh, wait, uh, you're under arrest. But yeah. I love, I just love, my favorite thing in the entire, all of the media that we ever have is how dumb B1 droids are. That's just like, it brings <laughs> me so much joy, no matter what it is. Yes. I don't know if you guys have read Aftermath, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, has, you know, his reprogrammed B1 who does ballet and kills people like I love battle droids (laughs) same 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 I have like a little 375 inch figure figurine somewhere of one and I named him I named him Tim I love I love Qui-Gon Jinn so much and I love just how like patient he is he's like do Coruscant do Coruscant oh my god I love him It is great, though. It is awesome. And then, okay, so after that, the droid's like, wait, that doesn't compute. You're under arrest. And then they take out their lightsabers, and they start slicing and dicing. Then we see a 
battle droid walking around with uh, no, to- no, to- no torso, you know. Just the legs. Headless, like just the legs walking around. I love that part every time. I always, like, look for it. I'm like, there it is. There he is. <laughs> every time. Every time. So they they do that. Then they get on Then they get on the ship. Oh, wait, hold on. The, they free the pilots. Then they get on the ship. And <laughs> don't forget that. Those pilots need to be freed. But then they get on the ship. And then... Somebody blast the ship. So now the little droids have to fix it, and this is the first time we see R2-D2. Yay! They get a thing! I love the little whistle that R2 makes as he goes up the elevator. Before he even does that, he runs into Jar Jar, and the first thing anyone says to R2-D2 is, How rude! I know! How appropriate! He is a rude little genius droid. He, He is. He is. Oh my gosh, catch me sobbing when Rick Oli is all like, that little droid does it! I was just like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I love, And Rick Oli is like, oh, hold on. When he goes, like, chill generator's been hit. Uh, and then the droids go out, and then the little R2-D2 whistles up there. But then I get so sad every time the other oh, droids R2 get R2 shot R2 off. He's yeah, like the last, last man standing. <laughs> He's like the only one left. He lost all his friends. He probably grew up with them. They were in the same production batch together, probably. I don't know. But oh all, he gets, all he gets on the same day that like four of his friends die, all he gets is a bath. Like, okay, thanks. Clean this little <laughs> droid. He deserves our gratitude. At least they sent the queen to give him a bath, guys. At least he got the <laughs> royal treatment. I find that hilarious every time. Sabe's just like, like, go clean the droid. I I think that's hilarious. She tells I, the every queen, time I watch it, I come up with a new reason. Like, did they lose a bet? Like, did Padme steal her shoes? Like, did what? Guys... What happened? Like, what is the petty background there? Why did somebody have there has to be? Queen some... Did you guys ever read the the uh, Queen Amidala journal from from 1999? It's, mm, it's yes. like it's on its way. I bought it on yeah. the way. It's not here yet. So it's it was you know part of like you know the the marketing for the movie. Um, you know it, it's it's aimed at children, so it's not a very difficult or compelling read. But you know so this book is supposed to be like the the events of the Phantom Menace as told by Padme in her super secret diary. That's awesome. yeah, I think she, I read that yeah. when I was a kid. I love yeah, when it. I was, exactly. I re, yeah, I read it when I was a kid, and I and I really distinctly remember uh, Padme being all like, "Oh, this is part part of uh, you know keeping up the illusion that I really am right. a handmaid." Ah. Sabe yeah. needs to give me chores every now and again, <laughs> but I can tell that she secretly likes it. Like, oh, oh Sabe, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's great. I, I need I need to get that. I, also, I want oh, that now. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I often think of the queen and the handmaidens like a group of sisters, and I, yeah. I, I had cannons here, but I think they have a lot of uh, fun little rivalries and arguments and fun sleepovers and everything. Oh, you definitely. Know. It's, it's canon. Definitely. 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 <laughs> like, there's no way it's not. There are a bunch of teenage girls. Right. Like, right? Hi. 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 Like, come on. Sleepover. But yeah, definitely. That would be... Um, God. Speaking of the queen, so if Padme is queen, and Padme Amidala is queen, do does the rest of the galaxy just not know what Queen Amidala's first name is? Like, is she just known as Queen Amidala? Or else people would totally know that yeah, Padme is the queen. Title. Yeah. Uh, well, that's I, why her last name is Naberi. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, so, Amidala is the title, yeah. So, like, is it they're, they're, the queen just doesn't have a first name? I don't know. This I is mean, what I was thinking I mean, about when I was watching it today. 
she's the democratically elected queen of a sovereign planet. It it doesn't hold up under too much scrutiny. We just gotta accept it. <laughs> yeah. Just keep going. Keep going no, with it. I I think it is. Um, it is known that that's her name. Uh, her name is Padme, but it, protocol royal protocol demands that uh, she be called Queen Amidala, not Padme, uh, by right. her subjects or anything like that. So that's why she's rarely called Padme in this film. So, okay. Uh, so yeah, R2-D2. And then after that, uh, she cleans them up. And, oh, I had one, one little small detail that I wanted to mention. Um... Well, actually, you know what? I'll mention it later. It it applies later. It applies later. Okay. Okay. All right. It's about R two D two. I I want to mention something about Padme cleaning up R two D two, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is I feel like you you know you see her kind of kneeling and crouched in front of him, and I feel like it's a it's a call you know callback to you know Leia and when you first see her with R two. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, some visual parallels there. Oh, they both yeah. nothing. I've, I've actually always thought of Luke. In that part, yeah, when he's trying too. to get the little thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah, see that too. Both knelt in front of the droid. Their mom knelt in front of. <laughs> um, also, when he's she's cleaning him, that's when she meets Jar Jar, and yeah. Yeah, like everyone else who's met Jar Jar for the first time, she doesn't judge him. She just comments like, "Oh, you're from that other, you know, you're co-captain of this planet that yeah, I don't know like, about." Yeah. But oh, wait, you're that. You're one of those. So she actually treats him respectfully, which I think is important because she's Padme perfect. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I need Katie to, um, like, reference her thread that she made about on, on Twitter about, you know, Padme and Jar Jar's friendship, like, saving things. <gasps> yes, I was thinking about that when I was watching it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Because this, you know, uh, Jar Jar walks up and he's like, hello! And she's just like, oh, you're a Gungan, aren't you? Like, she's never met one before. Right. Which is so unusual because, you know, how, how has she never met a Gungan? They live, you know, on half the planet. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, it just seems natural because they they are very different people. The Gungans are warlike and they have a grand army and the Naboo are peaceful. And so the guests, the Gungans just stay underwater and the Naboo live on the surface and then they just never even have to deal with each other. But, you know, it, it, Padme and Jar Jar form this real friendship. And then by the end of the movie, they're able to connect over, wow, we are both about to lose everything we love you know the gungans get pasted too eh? and and it's and it's that that gives padme the idea to bring the two of them to to bring their two peoples together because they were able to form a friendship and it's so lovely and they get jar jar and padme get these beautiful like little small moments across the film where you can see their friendship building like um when jar jar gets his hand stuck inside of anakin's pod and nobody notices yeah nobody notices except padme and she goes to rescue him they're like about okay i'm turning it on let's go yeah like wait no but uh, like i'm gonna lose my hand but anyway yeah. so yeah I, you guys are so right about the gungans and padme interaction things i think that's i think that's great i never never thought about that in depth before but yeah you're both totally totally right okay i don't know if you guys can hear but my husband's in the background just saying a bunch of jar jar quotes so um. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great totally appreciate it okay <laughs> all right so I guess I should ask you, Katie. Uh, yeah. I don't remember myself, honestly. I saw this movie like two days ago, but I don't remember because I didn't make these notes when I was writing it. I should have. <laughs> but has Darth Maul come on yet? 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like as um, they 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 escape the blockade. Uh, they they they're on their way to Tatooine, oh. and then that's when the are like, uh, we we lost we lost the queen. <laughs> and Sidious is all like, well, that ain't great. And the Boydians are like, we we don't know how to find a single ship. That is impossible. Like it's a ginormous galaxy. How are we supposed to find one ship? And Sidious is all like glad you asked (laughs) (laughs) this is my apprentice Darth Maul this is my apprentice Darth Maul and that's where Darth Maul of course steps onto screen folds his arms across his chest (laughs) very cool and very intimidating um I love what I love about this scene is that they purposefully made everybody sit down so that when Darth Maul walks (laughs) on screen he looks taller and more imposing than he actually is in right. real life. Uh, Ray Park's not he's the tallest not guy. Yeah. guy. <laughs> no, he's um, not. <laughs> also, when when that happens, right after it, the the I don't know if it's Nuke or who, the other one who says it, but they go, "We should not have made this bargain." What did we they get out of this? this? Like, what did Sidious promise them in exchange for him taking over the galaxy? That's what I want to know. Anyway, uh, just more power, point. really. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah. And they're going to control a few more trade routes, but then Sidious gets everything. So, well, you know. I mean, you know, you see Newt Gunray, you know, how how lawfully he sits in Queen Amidala's throne by the time he gets on Naboo. Like, that that's right. what he wants. You know, right. take him away. You know, he just wants <laughs> that him power. He wants, yeah, exactly. He just, you know, he wants to be able to dismiss people with the wave of a hand. You know, he's just he's just a little social climber. That's, that's what they were going to get out of this. So. Right. Anyway, no. No. <laughs> they give the Gungan sh- so much stuff for being stupid, but has anyone <laughs> thought about New Gunray and how intelligent he might be? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a Nemoidian fan myself. Like I don't know. I don't care for him. Honestly, I thought. Why does everybody have a problem with Jar Jar in this movie when the Nemoidians exist? I mean, I'm sorry. Right. But <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand. Okay. So, moving on from our hatred of Nemoidians. Not really hatred. Dislike. I'm sorry, Nemoidians. Um, <laughs> from that. Um, now, after that happens, after Darth Maul stands imposingly and such, uh, <laughs> they land on Tatooine. Uh, on the ship. I hate, Go ahead. What is it? It's, it's about your note. I have yeah. a rebuttal to your note. Okay, all right, so let me say it. I listened to it several times, and go ahead. Okay, so it's not exact, if that's what you were going to point out, but when the ship lands for um, Qui-Gon, not Qui-Gon, Padme ship lands on Tatooine, um, the music that plays is Kylo Ren's theme music. The last note is different. I don't... Wait, what? don't (laughs) Don't call me crazy. It's there. When I was watching it oh. years ago, it happens like right there. It does that dun 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 yeah, dun. That. But then it goes lower again, a lower note right there at the very mm-hmm. end. It goes dun 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 like that at I the very end. Yeah, yeah. And I've always felt like I'm like, it, wait, yeah. what? Like after I saw the Force Awakens, and then I watched that again. I was like, huh? They they didn't know that they were gonna make these next ones, but I know that somehow. Somewhere in the back of someone's mind, I know somebody at Lucasfilm has, has found that out. That story group is way too thorough. I mean, to not have noticed that. I mean, it's like I said, it's not exact, but it's there, and I have questions. Go ahead, Megan. I don't want to burst your bubble. Go ahead, but and do it. It's it. 
John Williams, when he does things, he does them very, 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 very specifically. Right. And I'm sure, like, it's, you're right, it does go lower, but it's also a little bit different. Like, I mean, the rhythm's different. It just, I think that's just John Williams, like, something bad's about to happen music. I think that's just, and then when he, when he wrote Kylo's theme, that was like, uh, you know, a bit that resonated with him as being, you know, leading into darkness music. So. Right. I, I don't know if I, I agree with you. Like, it definitely does sound very, very, very similar. And I didn't actually get to my piano to check. But um, I, yeah, I was like, when I played it over, I was like, is Nettie right? What is happening? And I'm like, overanalyzing it. But I, I'd like to think it's probably just like a similar theme coincidence and not a calling back to. No, definitely. Because he would have done it, he would have done it exactly the same if it were a calling back to. I agree, but at the same time I disagree. I don't think that he's necessarily calling back to the Phantom Menace with that. I honestly don't think that he, maybe he doesn't even recognize that it's the same, but like I said, somebody has noticed that at the story. Right. And they allowed that to go through. I don't know how that all works with um, the music as well. I don't think that that's run by the story group, but I know that it's no. been, it's not, but I know that it's been caught somewhere along the line. And I wonder right. if anybody's ever raised that question uh, there at Lucasfilm. Um, well, when I'm bored tonight, I will do some research and see if I can find answers for you. Cause now I want to know. Okay. <laughs> okay. I have an idea about like if, if they are similar and if it is intentional, it could just be uh, like, so one of the main things that Kylo's struggles with in the sequel trilogy is um, the legacy of the Skywalkers and that that type of thing. So um, it, this is the moment where Padme lands on Anakin's home planet. This is the moment for them that their story together begins. Mm-hmm. I and, like that answer. Uh, it could be, you know, like this is the beginning of the legacy. And as far as we know, Kylo... Kylo is going to be the end of the legacy, so that's just an idea. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true, and it could be I like that. Could be a possibility. I like that explanation. How about you, Megan? Well, and uh, yeah, and just the fact that it's a it's such a large theme for just the simple act of a ship landing. But you're completely right. That is the first time Padme sets foot on the same planet as Anakin, and we know that changes the course of the galaxy. So, I I I that's actually a really smart point i like that i'm okay. gonna do some more research because i hope you're right <laughs> let us know what you find <laughs> that's true that's true i like y'all's explanations okay that works for me all right so they land on the desert planet and a lot of people have a lot of i have a whole rant about ugh, i don't know i'll get into it possibly right now because it's in my notes but okay here we go bear with me okay so, like I said, Anakin lives on a desert planet. That's where this whole sh- this ship lands and stuff like that. And, honestly, every time people get tired of Star Wars using desert planets for some reason, but there are only two canon ones, so I don't know why they're tired of it. Anyway. Right. Like- um, yeah, they're Jakku and Tatooine. That's it. But, anyways. So, desert planets, why do they keep popping up in Star Wars? And people have probably pointed this out. I know they have. I've seen it before written down. But it's a whole lot of meta. But desert planets are a huge, uh, huge, huge, huge symbol. Uh, I wanted to read a piece uh, from this book that I, that I had about, uh, about like, 
popular symbolism in modern and uh, ancient myth and culture. Uh, so here it goes. When a man walks or rides into a forest, he's lost among the trees, can't see ahead, doesn't know what might be lurking there. The forest surrounds him, obscures him with shadows, and confuses itself with him by its vertical composition and competitive detail. But when a horseman appears in the desert plain, he dominates it instantly. His view extends as far as the eye can see, and enemies are exposed to his gaze. The desert flatters the human figure by making it seem dominant and unique. Dark against the light, vertical against horizontal, solid against plain, a detail against a blankness. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> when, <dang. laughs> when I read that in your notes, I immediately thought of one of the other posters for the movie where it's oh. ba- Baby Anakin with the shadow being Vader. Darth Vader's silhouette. Yeah. That's immediately, I was like, oh my god. You're, like, oh it's, my god. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so <laughs> any, any thoughts on that? Like, no, I love that. And I love that you bring up that poster because I remember being a kid and, at, you know, just at being at my local movie theater and just standing in front of that poster, like, in awe of it. Like, I was just I was so overwhelmed by that poster of just tiny baby Anakin in this huge domineering shadow of Darth Vader. And I felt so incredibly sad for him that here's this boy and he's just so fated to become this creature you know and there's nothing you could do to stop it it's like a train barreling towards him like and I just it's a powerful image and and it does tie in well to what you're saying about how the desert you know flatters and the the human form and it just makes the Darth Vader shadow seem so massive and inescapable I I love that poster so much yeah I I need to go take a nap (laughs) well and i think about the the power balance thing too because you know the desert can flatter the human figure by making it seem dominant or it can make it seem weak and i think we think about our figures in the desert we have baby anakin here who's you know two feet tall and but still casts a long shadow right and then we have you know luke standing over and looking at the suns we have ray alone in her atat like they are alone and vulnerable and you know Tatooine and Jakku, we know they have to literally farm moisture out of the ground to survive. And and I think one of the comics, you know, there's a revolt because the huts are controlling the water they moisture farm out of the ground. So, like, that makes it vulnerable. But Rey is also strong. Luke is also strong because they are surviving in this. They're survivors. I think it's 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 a very open playing field. When you go to the desert, there's no hiding. So here, all these. The events are going to play out in the next hour or so are going to happen because of the people, not because of the landscape or the environment around them. It is just what is meant to be as per whatever is happening. Right. It right. showcases, like, put you put somebody against a plain background. No matter who they are or what they look like, they're going to stand out, no matter what right. it is. And the that's, inside comes out. Yeah, exactly. There you go. But, yeah. So, continuing on with the deserts. Um Another way deserts are seen uh, as symbols in uh, common literature and myth, uh, deserts are seen as crossing points and not places that we want to stay in. In legends and lore and many religions, they see deserts as like a barrier meant to be crossed to find this promised land. Deserts are places also where divine uh, revelations take place. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam's origins can all be traced back to revelations that took place in the desert. In popular literature, deserts are places of exile or isolation. This allows the people or revelations to stand out against a blank blank background. 
Death is also synonymous with the desert. No water, no plants, no shade, just the sun. Yet the sun, which gives life, is actually responsible for taking it away in this instance of the desert. So the force can kind of be seen as a type of sun in like the prequel mm-hmm. trilogy and the entire saga. And it's responsible for bringing life through the light side of the force, yet also brings decay and death and destruction if used too harshly or incorrectly, according to the Jedi. So right. that whole like thing just like really got me with the divine revelations, especially mm-hmm. with finding this chosen one in there. Right. Where, like how you said, it, he stands out against everything else because he's, first of all, he's so unique. Second of all, everybody around him is kind of like, they, they pale in comparison because of his abilities that he has. Right. Uh, also they're because, basic. <laughs> they're basic. But because of the desert, because of the desert as well. And right. that's how Qui-Gon is able to see in this kid, there's something different about him. And exactly. that's how one thing leads to another. Because, you know, yeah. if Anakin were on Kashyyyk or something, he wouldn't have to exist in a way that would make him stand out as being a unique right. anomaly because this his situation being a slave stuck doing this one thing every day is how he stands out. So I it's brilliant how, you know, and we can complain about all the deserts all we want. And I know it's great that we're take going back to Tatooine where Luke had to do the same thing. He had to stand out in his desert. Um it's definitely really poignant definitely and i think um you guys are talking earlier about how the it's luke it's ray and it's anakin all three they started in the desert and i think it's definitely like that spirituality that they all three of those characters you know kind of connect with in um at least with ray and anakin it's more of like an automatic type of a way um versus with luke um it's something he has to access but um I think that that's a important, you know, way to get get that to come out of them is to put them in that in environment where it, it has to come out of them. And um, I think the deserts are important just for that reason alone. But everything else you're listing is it's pretty amazing how it's been used in in my opinion. And I'm not tired of deserts yet. Yeah, <laughs> same, same, same. So um, you mentioned also your the desert is a crossing point. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing we know about the desert is Moss Eisley being a huge like transportation hub. That is where you go to find jobs and take people away or take things away or bring things in. And I don't we don't know if Moss Espa is as much of a we know we don't see Han and Greedo sitting at a bar, so we don't know if there are actually they're not <laughs> ships alive around. Yet. But uh, <laughs> um, well, Greedo might be. Anyway, go ahead. Greedo might be. Anyways. <laughs> But, you know, that part of the hub being the desert makes sense, too. Yep, definitely. And, uh, Katie, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, No, not to the desert. Um, I'm also not tired of them. Like, y'all can get off my case about Jeddah. (laughs) Jeddah's amazing. That's true. I forgot about Jeddah. I forgot about Jeddah. Yeah, a desert we haven't touched on yet. That's true. (laughs) Jedi planet? Desert? Important? Yeah. Who Maybe. knows? Who knows? <laughs> Ooh, who knows? But wasn't there a desert planet in Clone Wars? I'm trying to remember. Wasn't there one time they were trying to find water and they couldn't? I can't. I don't, anyways, I don't know. 
I don't know, maybe. Too many, too many planets and Clone Wars to think <laughs> through on the top of your head. Yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot. Like, I have, like, the, uh, I have, like, three of the Star Wars encyclopedias, the 2014, 15, and 16 ones, I think. And that they're, was, like, yeah. constantly, like, getting updated, and I'm like, eh, all the maybe new planets <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, oh, oh another, so another desert time. off the top of my head. Uh, Dathomir. But we can talk about Darth Maul and oh. Dathomir later. Oh, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. No, Katie. Uh, Katie's saying no. Nah, sorry, I'm too much of a mall stand to to accept Dathomir <laughs> as a desert. It's I'm sorry, it's a jungle, and it's supposed to be You're saturated right. with water. Um, you know, because the 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 Night Sisters, the witches, are very much about water and that's mist true. and wind and stuff. Yeah, so that that's that's their shtick is uh, is you know mist and stuff. So I. I I, I don't see it as a desert planet. I see it as like a jungle planet where the water, mm-hmm. where the air is very heavy with water. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, but you know, you, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just think of it more barren and then I associate sure. barren with desert. So yeah, yeah, I will give you the, that, that is, that is Katie knows. <laughs> Katie knows. <Yeah. laughs> if anyone knows, Katie knows. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. we have, um, you know, if we if we want to move on a little bit, we do then have a very brief scene with Maul where he says, uh, Tatooine is sparsely populated. If the trace is correct, I will find them quickly, Master. <laughs> we will and have a revenge. It's yeah, not that hard that to memorize all the lines from the film. Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's how we know he's on his way. He's like, <laughs> he's all like, well, they all Tatooine. I found them. I'm going to go. I'm coming. I'm going. <laughs> Bye. And then we yeah. see we see Tatooine, we see Mothaspa, and we see land speeders that look just like Luke. So we see Dubaks, and we see aliens, and yeah. it feels very much like Tatooine. You know, there's a bantha, there's the domes. It's all like perfect. I love so cool. Mos Espa. I love Mos Espa more than I love Mos Eisley. We shouldn't surprise anybody. I just <laughs> you know when I see Mos Espa, I see what George Lucas originally wanted Moss Eisley to be. You know, he wanted Moss Eisley just to be like teeming with life. You know, that's why he added all of those, um, you know, extra creatures and stuff in the mm-hmm. special editions um, to, uh, to Moss Eisley. And so that then that's what we get with Moss Espa because, you know, he has a lot more money. He has a lot more, you know, control over, you know, his vision. So we just see all kinds of creatures just, you know, every every corner of Moss Espa is, is just crammed with some sort of weird or interesting interesting thing to look at and I could just I don't know I could I could explore Mos Espa all day I love it take me with you I will too definitely yeah. <laughs> I think we'll go together yeah, well. we'll yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay um so speaking of Mos Espa that's where we meet Anakin the first yeah. time that we see him uh so they go ahead I'm a person and my name is Anakin <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I always think that's like <laughs> okay, I have a little bit, I have a little tiny bit of a rant about that. Um, like, the first time that Padme meets him, you know, she's like, you're a slave. And he's like, I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. And people find that funny, but I find it sad, because... Oh, it is. He, oh, it's, it's devastating. That's yeah. why I cover it with humor. He's like, I make sure that I separate myself from that title of slave, because, you know, it's, it's not, a, not something that you want to be called, first of all. Second of all, I think that how that connects with the rest of the trilogies is interesting because he starts his life out as a slave and technically he ends his life as a slave. And I think that's <laughs> super, crying intermission, please. super sad. I mean, and then it also goes hand in hand with like, you know, what he does as he's a little boy too. He builds droids. And I think that's ironic because 
by the time he dies, he's part mechanical, and he has a hand in building the Empire. So he's constantly building stuff all his life. He's building uh, ships and fixing ships and stuff like that. He's building, but now he's gonna. Now he has this hand under this master. He was building this stuff, you know. And then under Palpatine, he's helping to build the Empire and stuff like that. And I think that that's sad. That it's beautiful. Yeah. But well, and also like it shows that. Immediately, he is refusing his destiny. He thinks that his destiny is to be a slave and work in Watto's shop, but he just flat out refuses it when, you know, some would accept it or, you know. Right. I don't know yeah. how you accept slavery, but. Right. He just flat out says, I'm not a slave. I'm a person. And he has dreams to change that. And even though he would look like an unopposing, unthreatening nine year old boy, he knows that he is going to do everything he can to change that. That's right. Yeah. I love oh, I love that. It's so uh, it's so underappreciated in this movie just how much an- anger and resentment Anakin has towards like being a slave and you see him he's he gets so angry at Sebulba. You know Sebulba kicks him around and stuff and Sebulba threatens him right before the pod race and we just see Anakin like outright like snarl at him, you know? Like right. that little boy just gets so upset at Sebulba and like and, like the only like own he can throw back in Sebulba's face is like, "Yeah, it'd be a shame if you had to pay for me." You know, that's uh-huh. that's all oh my gosh, it, it just breaks my heart and and yeah, you can you can see how this this anger and resentment Anakin has grows into the young, handsome, hated Christensen that we'll see later, where he also has a lot of unresolved anger. You know, it definitely starts in this movie. Anakin isn't all joy and sunshine all the time. He, If he has a sticking point, it's the slavery thing. And have, I don't know if you guys have... Um, have any of you read the Phantom Menace novelization by Terry Brooks? Not yeah, yet. I'm going working to. On it, working on it. Going it's on my to. list. This is my first Star Wars book I ever owned, and I, like, got it for my 10th birthday, and it's, like, I have a picture of me unwrapping it, and it's, like, one of my favorite pictures to look back at sometimes when I think about. Um, I love that. Oh, my God. In the novelization, it, it, there's some, some, you kind of get a little more of an idea of what Anakin's life was before, um, before he meets Padme and all these events happen. And, um, I, it's pretty interesting to see how he, like he mentions the angels from Diego because he spends his spare time just talking to, um, people that have gone other places. And so much of what he wants to do is just go somewhere else. And he, but he wants to see everything and he's he mentions it in the movie as well, but it's, yeah, we're the first one to see them all hours and hours talking to listening to people talk about other places and just, uh, just constantly just trying to escape from where he is. And, um, it's, it's just a, it's so, so sad that like that, that, but that's like his form of escapism trying to forget that where he is and, and all that resentment that he holds for his position. So it's pretty sad. I just, I, it makes me think about broom boy. Honestly, I, I get so <laughs> emotional <laughs> When I talk about Broom Boy, when I watch him, yeah, because, you know, it's these stories, these legends, you know, particularly the ones about Luke Skywalker that give Broom Boy his hope. And then at the very end of The Last Jedi, when when he's looking up at the stars, I just start crying, openly weeping, because I'm hearing little Anakin saying, I'm going to be the first to see them all when he just looks up at that night sky. It's it's very emotional for me. And Anakin's his his it seems like his intentions were 
so pure and, and, um, Mm -hmm. except for, you know, that anger he does hold. So it's so interesting to see how, um, how it was twisted for the rest of his life, but to see that potential in other characters, like, like you said, in the broom boy. And, um, also, you know, we kind of see Luke being that way in the original trilogy as well. So to see that, that potential and then how it turns out for different characters is always interesting too. And you said, you said, purity i we we skipped over one line we skipped over him saying are you an angel Uh, (laughs) Uh, which is like you know it's cute it's funny but like it's also that he's so stuck in where he is that he sees something beautiful and he thinks it's otherworldly because he doesn't know beauty like that where he is Uh, and (laughs) sorry oh my god like and you know it's it's funny because oh my god they're gonna have children but um it's also like he doesn't know what else to say to something like that. That is his first connection is, are you this something that I've heard about from the pilots I hear talk about fantastical otherworldly things because I don't know anything else like you and I'm in love with you already. <laughs> Someone, not something. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, the, definitely. Uh, I was just going to uh, uh, mention like, you know, an attack with clones. Um, you know, the first time when he's getting all nervous, I'm already jumping to attack clones, but, um, when he's getting <laughs> nervous because he's about to meet Padme again, he mentions like, he thought about her every single day since they parted. And Yikes. it's, it's, <laughs> it's more than she's just a pretty girl to him. Yeah. It, right. She represents, um, the, the beauty that he was, you know, and she beauty. rescued him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, she she was such a big part of him escaping that stuck destiny and finding his dream. So, of course, he would think about her every day because she she was the angel who saved him. Aww. Anyways, <laughs> that's so sweet. That's so sad. That's so sweet, though. Okay, so after that, um, they Quinlan, yeah, Quinlan, Quinlan Boss is in the background of a shot. <laughs> I posted that during my live tweet, and I had several people go like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, it's actually true. They retconned it, but it's canon. It's canon. They retconned it, but it's canon. It's, it's in there. Uh, it's in my visual dictionary that I have that he was on a mission there, but it was the, oh, 2014, it was the 2014 one, so I don't know if it counts, but anyways. So, <laughs> Wiki, yeah. Wikipedia says it counts. I'm calling it. Crossies. Well, we get Women of the Will's canon. Yeah, there you That's go. true. That's true. It's canon. <laughs> for us so <laughs> they they leave the shop um and they're out there they see we see quinlan in the background uh after they get into this little altercation or jar jar does uh when he takes jar jar's the, just hungry it's fine jar jar's hungry so he decides to take he's like oh here's like this thing to eat hanging here in the air i'm just gonna take it because that makes sense to just take a piece of food hanging in the air and i don't have to pay for it I don't know how it is where the Gungans live, but that's not how it is on Tatooine. Everywhere and else. He finds that out pretty quick. Uh, not the, seven whoopee. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Seven whoopee. <laughs> how are you going to pay for that, boy? But, yeah, so he, he finds out pretty quick. And he gets into a little bit of an altercation with Sebulba, which is that's the first time that we see him. And... He grabs Jar Jar by the throat with his, like, little foot thing that looks like a hand. His toes make me so uncomfortable. They're so cool. He's, like, walking. He's like this, like, with his little feet. And I'm like, oh, that's so weird, but that's so cool. I like the creature. I love the creature design. 
on him. I really do. And I think it's I think it's super unique, like how he moves. Like it's really weird. Like why would you walk on your hands? But I mean if you're gonna use your hand he uses his hands as his feet and his feet as his hands, which I think is super cool. And it makes you think, because uh, Watto says, like, oh, he's the only human who can do it. So is Fulla a better pod racer because he has these other limbs that do things differently? If Anakin's okay. the only, you know, biped that can do it. That's that was, true. It's supposed uh, to be because thought. of, like, reflexes or something like that. Mm-hmm. The, that's the reasons why humans can't do it, because we're not, like, it's it's so dangerous. Smart like, enough. we don't have the reaction time to do it or something uh-huh. like that. Am I right, Katie? Well, you kind of make an effect. Yeah, I feel no. like... Okay. Yeah, well, I feel like you look at a lot of those other aliens, and a lot of those other aliens have more than one arm. You yeah. know what I mean? And, no, and that's Sebulba, true. You know, all all of all of his limbs are hands. You know, they can right. all do something. So he could be hitting a lot of buttons. I mean, you see everything Anakin has to do when, like, one of the one of the engines of his pod goes out. He's like, I have to reach this over here. Right. And, and, and touch that. And plug that in. Most yeah. Stressful so button pushing. Exactly. All that stressful <laughs> button pushing. That's exactly it. Yeah. So he has to do a lot of things very quickly that I think most humans wouldn't be just physically fast enough to do it. The only reason Anakin is is because he can see things before they happen. He just has those really quick reflexes that he can just, you know, make this all happen on the fly. That's always just been my read of it is that, like, you know, he's overcome his human limitations through instinct and, you know, just quick reflexes, yeah. You were talking about he's the only one with two limbs. Actually, there is one other racer, Ben Quadraneros. I don't know if you remember that. But, 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 you were right because he doesn't even get to race because his pod blows up before they even, like, start going. So, yeah, you're totally right. Uh, Bipeds with two hands, can't do it. So, unless yeah, yep. of course. Unless you're Anakin Skywalker. So, <laughs> so um, back to this uh, altercation between Jar Jar and Sebulba. Um, doesn't Jar Jar ask like, why is it basically? Why is it always me? Like, why do I get picked on? And then Anakin says something like, "It's because you're afraid." Or do you guys was remember that, a deleted, that might have been a deleted I scene? I know there's a ton scene. of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, dude, we should have watched the deleted scenes before we did this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we'll, oh my gosh. We'll definitely you know, have to do that for it's Revenge fair. of the Sith, though, and because there's a whole bunch of Revenge of the Sith that was taken out. Yeah. That's really yeah. oh the whole Padme knife. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 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 Like Don't get me started on that. Anyway. Uh, fourth, fourth podcast that's deleted scenes. Deleted scenes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'll just like, and I'll go off about that one where Anakin gets into a fight and Qui Gon has to come break it up. It's like, oh, it's my favorite thing. I love it so much. So. <laughs> We'll have to get there. We'll get there. We will get there. We're we're, going to have to. I was going to say, if if I am remembering that correctly, then, um, you know, fear is something that comes up a lot in the prequel trilogy um, because it's ultimately what destroys destroys not only anything, but also the Republic. So um, it's pretty interesting to see it um, being displayed just by this small interaction there first. Right. Yep. Yep, you're so right. So, Okay. They're, they're walking. Then we meet. Oh, go ahead. Drinkio. Then we meet Drinkio. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, wait. Not <laughs> yet. After, oh. You're skipping something very important. Hold on. Okay. So Don't skip Shmi. Hold on. Not yet. Not yet. All right. So they're walking home, and the whole reason why they're going home is because there's a storm coming. Uh, oh. There's a storm brewing, Annie. Better get home quick. That's what the only <laughs> So that lady, I can't remember her name, but she was in the novel that I. Right, the, the Terry Burke's novelization, um, I think multiple times, and um, she she was always just like a character that I really loved. I don't, I guess she was almost like 
had like a grand grandmother type of relationship with Anakin. So it was yeah. it's, it's nice to see him have, having more than one positive um, maternal figure. Um, and those are the only positive ones in his life being um, female figures. It's also pretty interesting as well. That's true. And that's great. I can't um, wait to read that book. I'm, I, I ordered I, it. It should get here soon. <laughs> it should get here um, I totally lied. I have a second Disney reference. She makes me think of the um, the bird lady from Mary Poppins. Every time, no matter what. I'll start singing Feed Birds in my head. So, sorry. <laughs> oh, my right gosh. Phantom Menace with you, <laughs> I know. Did, no. Oh do you watch... I, all I do in my life is make Disney references, so, like, anything we watch, I will do it. So, same, so same. I do, too. Don't worry about it. I'm a Disney kid as well. Okay, so, yes, we meet Shmi now uh, when they get home. And Don't you forget about Shmi. <laughs> oh, my God. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that one before. I love secondarily it. secondarily a Shmi stan as well. So. Yeah, yeah I mean, You have to be, because she's, she's everything. Literally. Yes. Yeah. Like, definitely. we wouldn't have anything without her. She yeah. gets looked over so much. I mean, I don't know. I Could don't... you let your child go off with Jedi? Like, <sighs> because she knows. She understands. Like, it's just, it's so beautiful. And yeah. she's she's great. She is yeah. great. She's great. And Shmi Qui-Gon, that's a shit. Uh, I sh- yes. <laughs> yes. 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 The way he yes. looks at her just makes my heart feel so happy. No, wait, wait, wait. wait. But the biggest part. The height difference. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Every time. I'm a sucker for it. Or we all like are. hair braiding each other's yeah. hair. Oh, mm. my gosh. Oh, that'd be so cute. Oh, my gosh. If he was, like, <laughs> sitting down on the floor and she was sitting up on the bed just, like, brushing his hair. Oh. 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 oh I need it. Gotta go write this fanfic. Oh, my <laughs> Please do. Oh, oh God. God. That's oh. great. That is great. Um, speaking of Shmi, I mean, I don't know if I'm just totally out of nowhere with this, but she definitely has a connection to the force. I mean, she didn't just like create a force baby. Like that's important, but she, cause she says, she literally says to them, like you are meant to help these people. Like definitively, yeah. she doesn't say like, Oh, I guess it would be nice. Or, you know, that'd be the right thing to do. She says, you are meant to help these people. That's so um, true. And she's also so, so concerned about compassion and, and right. As a, Anakin has that thing. It's like, what do you always say, mom? That um, the biggest you know, problem in the universe is that nobody helps each other. I wrote that down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. Um, she obviously is instilling um, these, I guess, light side values in in him. And who knows where she learned it? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, I the force chose her. Great. Right. I want to yeah. know if maybe she was kind of like uh, Jin's mother, where she was like an acolyte, you know, mm-hmm. and uh-huh. she just heard these teachings and and they made sense to her they resonated into her yeah. you know maybe it was something like that i wouldn't be surprised if they made that canon you know down Can the you line imagine yeah. lyra and shmi sitting down and having oh. tea together oh. i'm gonna scream i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> no why did you do that <laughs> i'm sorry oh goodness that would oh that would make my heart so happy but it makes me sad right now thinking about it that's so scary. Oh, all right here so, man Lyrian, you just like pouring over, you know, Jedi texts and just like you know uh, debating philosophy, but in like a friendly, like camaraderie kind of way. Uh, oh, great would be so if we find out one of those books that Ray has is like pen. It by has like it has like Shmi Skywalker's name on the inside cover. That she she checked it out. <laughs> yeah, she checked it out of the library. <laughs> and I just saw someone tweeted earlier. I don't know if you guys saw 
that, but like, what if we see an episode in the Clone Wars reboot of Anakin and Obi-Wan taking Tex to the, to Octo? Like, what if that's, we see that? Like, it's possible, guys, it's possible. It turns out, like, okay, so Ray like, opens one of these books. She sees, like, this book belongs to Shmi Skywalker. Wow, her handwriting, her penmanship is beautiful. And oh. it turns out that Ben got his calligraphy from Shmi. I love it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It worked so well. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> why don't we, like, make the Star Wars canon? Like, how, how, why aren't yeah, we, right? Like, like Hi, let's. Group we right should here. choose us. We're great. Yes. <laughs> Hi, we're here. <laughs> call me Lucasfilm. They never call. Never. They never return my call. I don't know why. Anyway, so. they, they're right. They're, I, I work in the same city as them. I can do it. I can just yeah. show up at their door. And I don't <laughs> do it. <laughs> right. and I'm just like I'm like DJ. I'm like uh, I can do it. Uh, and, then, yeah. and they're like, no, we're good. Thanks. We're good. <laughs> Okay. She <laughs> said to okay. do something to make them see that we're, we're, we're great. Exactly. Anyways. We're great. Anyways. Nobody recognizes Now do we meet 3PO? Hold on. <laughs> a, bit, a, 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 bit, a bit of trivia real quick on Shmi real quick. Okay. Um, I had it in my notes. Oh. And I think this is super, yes. super sad, super cool though. Did you know that Shmi means in Hebrew, my name is? Yeah. It literally means my oh, name man. is. That's all it says. That's... And- I love the the Ben Ben name Ben's name means son son of so um, having those those Hebrew parallels between Ben and Shmi is like just super cool to me. Well, especially it is really sad that she doesn't really have a name. But if she is a single mother who had a child out of nowhere, that Skywalker, her name is Skywalker. She is Skywalker. She is the font of the Skywalker life. Mm -hmm. So. And even Ben, if Ben Solo, son of Solo, or Ben Skywalker, even son of Skywalker, like that, those names just tie them into the Skywalker so much more tightly than they would on their own. Right. You know. And also, Luke is actually a Hebrew name as well. I mean, what does Luke mean? I don't know what it means, but Luke was a, a big forefront uh, character in the Bible, actually. I think it was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus yeah. Christ, I think. And, yeah, it's the yeah. Greek, and apparently it means um, light giving or uh, by oh. the beloved position. Was it? It was either Greek or Hebrew. Yeah, Greek or Hebrew, something like that. Uh, it's yeah, just cute. It's so nice. It, <laughs> it's so great. I love all this. I love. I love doing that. Like I'll just sometimes I like I'm a creative writing. Like I said, I study creative writing at my college, and like whenever. I'm given like a story assignment or anything like a short story. I always like base my characters on their name like I find I, I spend hours just finding a name for them like going through all like the entomology of the word and what it means of the name and everything I love that so it's much so important. it really is it really is I just sent you guys a picture of the young Shmi Skywalker well the actress so like when she oh my gosh so how have I never looked that up before hold on let yeah. me look <laughs> I like how that just showed up on the screen though That's yeah funny. same yeah <laughs> that's so great but okay, so yes, now uh, now, now we meet three PO. Now we meet three PO, Megan. Go ahead. Three PO, three PO is my Star Wars spirit animal counterpart. Like <laughs> I am three PO, so like I get really excited whenever three PO is anywhere. Um, but the first three PO R two interaction is him insulting him and telling him that he's naked. So let's just like 
their ship started with an insult, just by the way. The first time that R2 and 3PO met, 3PO was naked. It's canon. It's just so weird. <laughs> but um, if I, yeah, I, I love all the Phantom Menace merchandise because all the Phantom Menace mer- merchandise has naked 3PO. Like, it's, it's all just, you know, there are mugs, there are inflatable chairs, there are, it's all 3PO with all of his wiring showing. And you know... If 3PO were here, he'd say, why did you make that? That's so improper. How dare you? You That's inappropriate. He'd move that to points. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. He would. And, yeah, so we meet 3PO. He's uh, a brand then, droid that I built to help my mom around the house. <laughs> and, yeah, just one other note about R2 and 3PO meeting is R2 and 3PO are meeting by chance in the middle of the desert on Tatooine. R2 being uh, one of the many astromech droids in the royal household like he's just one of padme's droids and 3po a friend that anakin made to help his mom and these droids are going to be the backbone of the entire skywalker saga definitely here they are in anakin's bedroom insulting each other so (laughs) it's so pure (laughs) one not properly clothed or in the other right. yeah. But anyway, okay. They have no secrets. Oh, they sure. <laughs> well, and that's what I was thinking too. Like three PO forgot their original meeting. R two knows all. R two remembers right? everything. R two has seen him naked. So R two has seen everything that's though. If you think so about it, R two D two could overthrow the entire galaxy's like political systems in one day with all the information that he knows. I mean, seriously. I I really hope they do something. I hope there's some comment. There has to be something because people can understand R two like. He talks to people. That is known. So there has to be some moment. That's like one wish for nine. It's just one call out to the fact that R2 has been through literally everything. R2 knows all. Anyways. He sees all. He, he does. knows all. He does. So, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we wouldn't. So, Shmi and all that. And, y'all, I, I still wanted to talk about that for a second. Um, you guys mentioned, uh, I forgot, I think it was Megan who said something about how Shmi is obviously very aware that something... She's very aware about her child, that he's not normal. I mean, he didn't have a father. And so, I mean, if you didn't suspect something there, then, yeah. But, you know, she did. She's a smart woman. And um, a lot of people actually explain... I don't know if you guys have seen this, but a lot of people explain away the fact that, that the virgin birth, I guess... Uh, with Darth Plagueis, with the comment that uh, Sidious makes in Revenge of the Sith, um, saying that Plagueis could influence the midichlorians to create life. And I have never taken that, uh, really. I mean, I honestly take the whole thing, there was no father. I take that at face value, because... Right. When I think of the Darth Plagueis, like, influencing... I think I imagine, like, you know creating clay and breathing life into it like that's what i visualize like you know not creating sentient beings and putting them in other women like that seems a little yeah, yeah I, I, extreme. Think, I feel like it does. uh darth darth Plagueis is probably going if he creates life it's going to be something unnatural something um that's right not, uh, you know uh, uh, going to be chosen to bring balance to the force. Have any of you read the, the, the Darth Plagueis novel? I didn't. I tried um, to. Know. 
I tried yeah, to. I know I what couldn't. you mean. I tried to. That's the thing. I mean, okay, I've read it. It took me a while. It's because, it, in my opinion, it's not great. It reads like 400 pages of exposition. <laughs> I stuck with it for um, for the occasional, like every 30 pages, there would be a paragraph about Darth Maul. So I'm just all like, yeah, keep going. Really? Just keep, oh. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Cause, I didn't um, get that far. The whole yeah, okay. like the whole thing is, you know, supposed to be like, you know, Sidious and, and it's a lot of it is told from his point of view and him interacting with Plagueis. So um, we get to see like the one of the original canon explanations for how he came by Darth Maul. So like whole chunks of this novel is him like raising Darth Maul. So that's why I stuck with it. I was because I was just all like, where's oh. my baby boy? Where's oh. my son? <laughs> that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, this novel spans just years and years of time, you know, like the, the whole like 20 years of Darth Maul's life, like, you know, all this stuff, but all from Sidious's point of view. And basically, um, you know, when, when they get to Anakin, when it's all like, oh, here's a boy who was created, you know, by the force. Because, you know, of course, this novel goes through Phantom Menace as well. And uh, that's when Plagueis and Sidious look at each other and they're like, oh, what did we do? Because they've been, you know, messing with the Force so much. It's like, did we break something? What <laughs> what exactly happened here? Like, they, they, it becomes clear that they did whatever dark side nonsense they've been getting up to. They did not intentionally create Anakin, which I'm like, I like that better than, than maybe Plagueis did this on purpose somehow. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I still don't love it because uh -uh. I don't like the idea that it all comes back to one all powerful dark wizard. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, well, I like the idea that the force could be more, you know, the force has a mind of yeah. its own. I mean, we, yeah, if right? we have not seen that already. I don't know yeah. what films you're watching because it seriously <laughs> does. And, well, and, and sorry, in that instance where, you know, during the opera scene where Palpatine's telling him that story, I don't believe for a second that Palpatine is not arrogant enough that he would have said, we created you with the force. Like, you know, he yeah. would have said, we made you. you, I own your you. Your destiny <laughs> is to be dark. And that would only have I'm your real dad. I'm your so father. Like, <laughs> if I were Palpatine trying to get an apprentice, I would have totally told the truth if that were the case. That's yeah, so true. I would have been a, like, I made you. I'm your daddy. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> that would be, that. yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I I don't like, I don't care for that, the whole Plagueis explanation. I really don't. I Like I said, I take it for face value. Like I said, the Force has a will of its own. The Force does what it wants to. And to me, this yeah. is just a retelling of this is the it, the force was looking for balance honestly that which is the to me the reason why Anakin Skywalker was created because the Jedi were so prevalent for a thousand years of the Republic uh they were around about as long as they were um according to the old canon anyway and even a little bit longer I believe and the whole idea that the whole the dark side has been completely ousted, completely el eliminated. Now we only have uh, Palpatine and at this moment Darth Maul. Now we only have two versus thousands of Jedi. The Force is looking for balance. Thus, that's why Anakin Skywalker came about. To me, that's what the whole thing was about. And it's like you know, it works the same way with like the whole virgin birth with Jesus and Mary in Christianity. Um, how the reason why Jesus was born was, you know, to he was for, to be the savior of the world and came came down to fix everything. That was what the Jedi were thinking the chosen one was, but honestly, it ended up being 
not like Yoda said, it was a prophecy misread could have been. Yeah, it was misread. He was born to bring balance to the force and like we've seen countless times posted all over social media and such. He did. He brought balance to the force at the very end of his life, just not the way everybody expected that he would. But the problem was, is that it went wrong, you know, in that whole scene, because he died. So there was no more balance. Now the light takes over. So there was an issue there too. That whole prophecy, it didn't work out. This wasn't, to me, this was never it, you know, especially with now what we're seeing in the sequel trilogy. This Anakin Skywalker was not it. He was not the sole chosen one. There, over spans of time, there are always different chosen ones and different myths and legends and stuff. You see that in the Tolkien universe and such, uh, different eras and Middle Earth and such. There are different. There are different chosen ones. There are different people. You know who this thing is put on them. This task that they have to do. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it works in a way that people don't like and that's how this kind of ended up working out in a way but it, like i said at the same time it didn't quite work completely so right. that's what the sequel trilogy is kind of to me fixing i don't know mm-hmm. but yeah that's just how i see it that's how i see the whole there was no father kind of thing that's how i read it personally mm-hmm. so next after after that um, this is where we see Padme be a, well, the first time we see her be like an actual really cunning politician. It's when, so like, you know, Qui-Gon's doing the whole like, oh no, we need money. What do we do? And she's the one who asks, what is the weakness of these people? What weakness can we exploit? And Shmi's like, oh, gambling. But I think mm-hmm. that she's the one who asks that question and not Qui-Gon. She's the one who gets to the bottom of how they're going to do this, like, intelligently and thought through with plotting and not just oh let's just bet on this child um so i thought that i like that i like that a lot exactly it's all it's padme's movie definitely and yeah yeah definitely definitely it's her galaxy yep exactly her universe okay so um they yeah they have that conversation uh in the kitchen area i guess and somebody mentioned about that time where Anakin said, Mom, you always say the biggest problem in the galaxy is that we don't help each other. And that's where Shmi kind of is like, I know he has to help you. He was meant to help you. That's where we kind of see that. And before you mentioned it, I never really thought about that, that line. But that's so true. You know, she definitely is. I mean, I knew she was aware, obviously, that her child was different. But like to the scope of you are meant to help them. That statement is that statement is huge. And I also had another little tangent about that line and about, you know, Anakin being a late bloomer and not starting his Jedi training until after this. The values he's already instilled in himself have been helping others. And all we know about Anakin for the rest of his Anakin life is that he puts uh, helping others ahead of patience or planning or all of it. And that's his, his recklessness isn't born out of the desire to act out or be different, his recklessness is born out of the desire to help others. And that was instilled in him from the beginning, from his mom. And I think that's really important. Like, it's one of his faults, you know, he jumps into something without looking, and especially in Clone Wars, how often he goes off and saves clones or does things that, you know, Obi-Wan sits there like, Anakin, and we, you know, it's funny, but that's because he will always do whatever he can to help the people around him. And that's all thanks to Shmi. That's so true. I never thought about that. Wow. Okay. You're so right. You're so right. So, okay. She finally, she gives in. And now Anakin's going to pod race. 
but they go outside and I guess, I don't know if I'm skipping anything. Uh, like I said, tell me <laughs> if I'm skipping anything. And the pod, when they're fixing it, the, there are kids outside and they're just like, you're going to race in this? It's never going to run. One of those girls has braces and it bothers me every time. <laughs> it's never going to run. But yeah, they're, they're so cute though. They're like, I like the little kids in Star Wars, like, seeing them. Cause, and I was so glad that, like you said, like, Broom Boy and the Stable Kids in The Last Jedi. I was so glad yes. we got that again. Because I love that. Because that's that's who Star Wars is for. Star Wars was made for right. kids. And now and I, I enjoy seeing them on screen um, in this universe. But, um, yeah. And they eventually leave. The only one who stays behind is Kidster. Kidster stays behind <laughs> with Anakin. And I was like, yay, I'm a big Kidster fan. I love Kidster so much. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to enter with this? But he stays around anyway. And, you know, yeah, he, he's there. For he's there cheering along. Moral support. You know, friend of the year. And he's there when uh, they're trying to get it to run because, like, the pot is, like, kind of, like, spazzing out. And Anakin's trying to fix it. Meanwhile, Jar Jar is fooling around in the back. And, um... Gets his tongue gets his, tased. Somebody, I forgot who said it. Like, don't get your head caught between. Was it Anakin? I think. Don't yeah. get your head caught yeah. between the. What were they called? I forgot. Yeah. If your hand gets caught in that beam, it will go numb for hours. Yep, that's what it is. And his hand doesn't get caught. His head gets caught. So yeah, that's lovely. And his, his hand, tongue just hanging. He's like, my tongue is fat, and he's like, I can't speak. My tongue is fat, <laughs> and he gets his hand stuck. And they're going to turn it on anyways and slice off his hand. But thank God Padme is there and gets him out. So Jar Jar would have, might have been handless if it hadn't been for Padme. And thank you, Padme. So he, Anakin eventually works it out. And he fixes it. I, oh, oh, go ahead. I want to interject right here. Um, there is that scene right as um, Anakin works it out um, and... And you know the thing starts going, and it's off. working. And Shmi is just like off in the distance, and she looks so sad watching this. <laughs> um, do you guys remember this shot? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking. It, it, you have to wonder, like, how much she already knows about, um, you know, what's going to happen. See him again. Um, you know, you know how much is maybe. Maybe she's force sensitive and has seen some of this, but maybe she just knows because of um, she knows Qui Gon's um, pretty nice guy and might take her kids. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, you're right. I didn't, I didn't think about that that shot, but yeah, there that is that is an interesting shot and how it fixes on her. I think that yeah, that is really kind of sad because that's like foreshadowing. Like she she knows she knows that something's gonna change because of these strange people that showed up. She's like, you know, she knows something's going to change. Right. So Anakin fixes the pod. And I, a lot of people skip over that. Uh, I love that. I love this part for two reasons. One, because of his little cheerful scream, it's working. It's working. <laughs> I love that My so favorite scene when I was a kid. <laughs> He's so cute in that little scene. But I also love it because in a way it also symbolizes who Anakin is uh, as a person. He fixed that pod, like I said. You know, he did all this other stuff. He does it his own way. Nobody knows. Watto's like, the boy's good. You know, there's no question about that. He's like, I don't know what he does. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. So, like, he does it his own way. And he fixes things. We know 
Go ahead. That Anakin is always happiest when he's flying something. Like, that's something we see for the rest of Anakin ever. If he's in the cockpit of something, he is happy. And here we have little Anakin in the, the ship he built himself, and he's finally in the cockpit, and it's going to go, and it's going to be so great, and he's so happy. And that's, you know, whenever we see him happy, it's for that reason. That's so true. So they finally get it fixed. And after that, I have it where it's, I don't know, does any, what happens after that? Because I have it where it skips to all the way to Qui-Gon and the bet right before. Uh, but, no, okay. I'll show you. have important things happening. Okay, no, see, because I, I forgot. Like, uh, I, I don't know how I forget, Qui-Gon but anyway. cleans the cut that he gets when he's fixing we the pod. That's right. I'm so angry I missed that. Okay. blood sample for the very important count. All right. I see you getting your notes. Okay. Also, um, there's the line about Anakin saying that he wants to see all of the stars. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the first one to see them all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so go for it. Midi um, Yeah, Midi <laughs> go. All right. Are you guys ready? Yes, we're ready. <laughs> go for okay, it. yeah. Okay, so um, I, 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 have you guys heard, I, I don't know if any of you guys listen to this guy on YouTube, Wayward Jedi, or watch his videos. Yeah. All? Yes. One? Yes, of all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, his, one of his most recent um, videos that he did was about um, the importance of um, like how how the it's like part two of his his story about how stars is moving from a tra- more tragic tale to a, like a more comedic tale yeah. and he's talking about um, you know it being like a, a cyclical story and how he thinks episode nine is going to be pulling a lot from the Phantom Menace and that's one of the reasons oh. why it's so important to look back at the Phantom Menace <laughs> Um, thematically and yeah. because of it's the beginning and the end and all this type of thing. So, and he, one of the things he brought up was the importance of, uh, symbiotic relationships and that like, he didn't go into too much detail. He said he's going to make like a video about it later, um, at the time of the recording of this podcast. Um, but, um, I, it started get, it getting, started to get my brain, uh, working a little bit thinking about, um, the symbiotic relationships and like, what does that even mean? Um, and, and like, how, how do we see it in Star Wars and, um, the midi-chlorians, a lot of people hate the fact that they mentioned this and that they gave us some kind of biological explanation, but not really give it, gave us a biological explanation. Right. <laughs> like, um, but I, I, I've always thought that, um, it was pretty interesting and, um, I don't know if you guys know much about midichlorians because I don't know know that much about them but um it, it just seems from this movie that they are uh, they're some something that's in a blood in your blood or in in all living creatures and it helps you channel the force and whoever has more midichlorians is more sensitive with the force but um the the symbiotic relationship of the midichlorians and humanity is mentioned I think one more time um, as they land on Coruscant, you yeah. guys remember? As they're mm-hmm. leaving, yeah. yeah. So um, the the fact that it's mentioned on Tatooine and Coruscant is one thing that's interesting to me because um, it's almost like the Tatooine represents one part of Anakin's life and Coruscant represents another part of Anakin's life. And um, the the other thing that the sim- some of the other symbiotic relationships or um, things that are not the same but work together and, and kind of help each other um, that I have just on a quick list was um, I started thinking about uh, the water planet or the de- jungle planet of Naboo versus the desert planet 
of Tatooine and, and their differences. And we talked about the deserts earlier, but um, just the differences between those two symbols. And then I started thinking about um, the difference between uh, something spiritual and the things that are on like the flesh level. Of, so especially if you're talking about the mini Koreans, it's like the spiritual things are manifested as flesh. And then, you know, thinking about the difference between um, Jedi politicians, for example, like the mm-hmm. politicians being the ones that are in charge and the Jedi um, being trying not to get involved, but somehow they do because they're not being that great at being Jedis, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other one being the uh, Gungans and the Naboo. Um, and I, I know we were talking about them having a symbiotic relationship earlier, but I think one of the things about this symbiotic relationship uh, between the Gungans and the Naboo that is interesting is we were talking about how separate they were from each other, and I, I would say that I don't think that their relationship was at its full potential um, right. as symbiotes before that and uh, before all the events of The Phantom Menace happened. And, um, you know, sometimes to, to work together or to complement each other, you have to, you definitely have to be able to interact. So the fact that they start, um, you know, interacting with each other and they kind of activate that more of a symbiotic relationship. So that's my small list that I had, um, water in the desert and the spirit and flesh. And I had a Jedi or force sensitives and politicians, mm-hmm. which is kind of across all of the uh, Star Wars movies. You have your force storyline and you have your more political right, uh, right. war type of, you got your rebels and your, 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 you know, force people. So, um, <laughs> These, these are just things that you, the more you think about it, the more you see. So I don't know if you guys want to jump in with any more kind of symbiotic or like peril uh, opposites, but like foils, I guess, uh, type of relationships that you see in this movie or any of the Star Wars movies. Well, well I guess even Dark Side of Lights one. Go ahead. Well. Yeah. Dark Side of Lights. I, I just like that. I think is just yeah. that you can put them all under the Dark Side of Lights header because I really I mean, I personally going forward, especially in the, the, the sequel trilogy, like, I really don't like the dark side and light side dichotomy. I don't like that it's all black and white. I love the idea of a balance in between, but that's the whole point. So, um, especially, like, the, the like you said, the events of Phantom Menace are bringing these, just clarifying these balances and <laughs> making them even more pronounced. Um, sometimes it seems like they're more stark in this film. Um, they're more 100% one way or 100% the other way mm-hmm. as well. Definitely. And another one that I thought of when you were talking, you mentioned dark side and light side, but I thought specifically about the Jedi and the Sith. It's interesting how the Sith aren't around anymore in the sequel trilogy. Snoke is not a Sith. Kylo Ren is not a Sith. Yet the Jedi kind of still live on a little bit through Luke Skywalker, but now he's gone too. So talking about... Start over. Yeah, so it's like a hard push to start over. Yeah, so who knows? Who knows? have any of you guys read the um, the Darth Maul comic from last year? The most recent one? Mm-hmm. No, I'm not crying on Darth Maul. I'm crying on, like, everything else. I think so. Yeah, I think I read that one. It was so, it was so good because it finally it gave us um, the new canon answer for what happened to the Sith exactly. Because, you know, in Legends we have various accounts of what happened to the Sith. But now we have our, our new answer. Or at least the answer is Darth Maul understands it. You know, it's told to him by Sidious. And that's, um, you know, the Siths were basically, they their, their main temple was the one that we saw in Rebels on Malachor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and uh, they 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 all lived there. And they, you know, according to Sidious, they were content to just like you Jedi go do you. We're gonna do us over here. And the Jedi were like nah, and came and raided the temple yeah. and slaughtered them all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just like I think that that's fascinating if true. Mm-hmm. That that you know the reason we only have two Sith and the reason they keep to the shadows is because the Jedi decided you know what now we're done the, we have to end this conflict and just go mm-hmm. slaughter all the Sith that's not like, too well, far that's why, yeah. but that leads to yeah. their arrogance believing that the Sith are gone mm-hmm. it's because they exactly. think that they think that they wiped them all out so then you know mm-hmm. Mace Windu's all like there can't be Sith that's not right there's don't, no way don't yeah. get me started on Mace Windu okay just don't. <laughs> just don't. You know, okay, I'm going to lose a lot of friends if we start talking about Mace Windu, so let's not. <laughs> well, we have to eventually, because he comes on Eventually, soon. but not yet. Yeah. Okay, so, goodness, I think we're finally halfway through the movie now. <laughs> yeah. I'm more than halfway through my notes, though. I think I just got bored. Okay. Yeah. Same. Um, okay. So, after that happens, the, the pod race. Yeah, the Yay. big pod race. The long pod race, which a lot of people can't stand. And I am <laughs> also... the best noises in the entire saga. I am also... I'm guilty of fast-forwarding it. Honestly, I really am. I, <laughs> oh, I, I, no. I seriously am. I seriously am. But so many... And I know people that do that, do the same thing as well. But... It is really long. It is very long. But it's also actually very important because if you look at it and if you think about what's going on in, during that entire pod race, it's literally a big metaphor for Anakin's life and the track that he's on. And, you know, I mentioned it before once, but everything, everything the Force is trying to do to stop Anakin is not working. You know, yeah. if, you know, we, the Force knows what's coming, knows that everything that's going to happen in the future. So here we have Anakin who's fixing the engine that's about to pull up. Here's Anakin who's beating everyone he shouldn't be. He's Anakin who's, you know, using his reflexes to totally dominate when he totally shouldn't. Right. All the odds, even Sebulba who sabotages his pod, even all of it, like, this should not happen. Exactly. But it does. <laughs> and, you know, like, how the race starts, too. The race starts and Anakin is behind. Um, to me, that connects with how he starts in life. He's behind. He was nine years old when he began his training at the Jedi Temple. That's about seven years too late. Um, mm-hmm. even two years old is somewhat pushing it. I think that's how old Ahsoka was when she was taken to the Jedi Temple. And, yeah, so he starts off, you know, behind in life and behind in the pod race. But he moves up, you know, over time in the pod race and as well as uh, Jedi in training as a Padawan. Anakin progresses rapidly to the point where he exceeds his master in the Force by the time he becomes a Jedi. And he, in the race, he passes everyone. But the pro- the point is, in each of those two parts, he's still chasing that one goal. He's still chasing something that's unattainable, but it's right there, a.k.a. Sabulba in the race. However, in life, that's kind of like him in the Force. It's like there's this thing constantly, every time we see Anakin, that, that's dangling in front of him the entire time he's a Jedi. That one line where he says, I want more, but I know I shouldn't. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever, which is what he says in Attack of the Clones. I will learn to stop people from dying. You know, there's like an atta- that was actually an attainable goal that was right there in front of him because of Palpatine, but he chose the wrong path. He chose Palpatine. He decided he decided to go down that path. So he loses his battle in that sense because his battle in that instance was for Padme. At the very end, he loses that. At the last second, he redeems himself. However, at the very end of his life, and kind and wins in a way, just like he did in the pod race. At the very end, he last at the last second, he pulls this impossible stunt. 
there he is. He wins. So after I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, that's so that's crazy how that's like the same thing. Like, that's so cool. But yeah. So the Potters is important. <laughs> but yeah. Um, we did gloss over one thing, too. Go ahead. We skipped the um, the Qui-Gon bet with the dice. But that just, oh. that just I, it's still tied to my same point, that the Force is doing everything in its power yeah. to make sure Anakin does not leave Tatooine, and Qui-Gon manipulates it, I'll, which I'll is put, all he does the entire movie. I meant to say this earlier, um, I'm not feeling that great, like, right now. Like, I have, like, a, I think I have a cold coming on, so my brain is kind of fogged at the moment, so if I oh, forget no. stuff, please tell me. But, yeah, so, and if my voice sounds funny, it's because of that. So anyway, yeah, that's true. the the whole The whole dice thing. Um, you're right. The force is oh. literally just like no, no, no. And, <laughs> right. Stop. Yeah. I have a question about that though. So like, if Anakin is um, was you know spawned by the force and is supposed to fulfill a prophecy, then why would the force be like counteracting it and being yeah, like, don't I, leave that to me? My idea so was that there was my, possibly a different path that he could have gone on. I mean, he didn't maybe, have to be. Maybe a Jedi. he might have been. Maybe even eventually one day, been more like Ray. Like if he had taken a path like Ray, where he had, um, you know, grown up and didn't have any attachments. Like maybe after Shmi died, some kind of peaceful death or something. I, I, I wonder That's if it's less like. Like, you're right. Like, we need Anakin to be on the path he's on, and that if that if he is the chosen one, then that's what it is. I think it's more the fact that Qui-Gon is manipulating the Force that is the problem. Like, I, perhaps, I, perhaps it would have happened eventually. Like, we can't say what other paths could lead to him, but just it's the way that Qui-Gon is continually changing what's supposed to happen for his right. own because like he thinks that's right. He's yes. See, I don't, I, I don't read it that way at all because I think the Force... It, it interacts with the world through our through our goodness. It the force mm-hmm. manipulates events through Shmi's selfishness, you know, selflessness to let her son go, her desire to see her son have a better life. Um, through Anakin, through him, his desire to help people. I don't think the force interacts through Watto's greed. Watto mm-hmm. being all like, no pot is worth two slaves, you know, yeah. what my, his selfish desires to own a human being, two human beings, and that he thinks he can gamble with their lives, you know, like their chattel. I don't think that's that's the force trying to be like, no, Anakin belongs here. No, 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 Watto, be greedy, because Anakin needs to stay here. I don't, that's not how I interpret that. And when I see Qui-Gon manipulating the dice, what I see is, is Watto cheating, because the yeah. dice only has one blue side. Blue the boy, red his mother. But the, he's not playing fair, not at mm-hmm. all. So why mm-hmm. should Qui-Gon, you know, mm-hmm. play fair with, with odds like that? I, That's I a good just, point. That's true. You know, so I don't, I, don't, I don't see Qui-Gon as trying to overrule the Force in that moment. I think he's just, you know, Wado's not playing fair. And so Qui-Gon's like, fine, I'm not going to play fair either. I didn't think that's a really good point. I am going to have to respectfully disagree, though, with the with the part that you mentioned about the Force and how it shows through, like the moments of goodness through people. Because I I don't know, but you got to remember the dark side of the Force is also part of the Force too. It's not just the Mm -hmm. light side, which is what we associate with goodness and compassion. And that's I'm not saying that. 
I don't know. The force is the force, honestly. I think the force, when it looks in the mirror, right. it's just like, I'm me, but we divide it well, up into two things. And, well, right. Yeah. Well, I think it's like, are you talking about, like, the cosmic force, the one that has the will that it, um, you know, it the cosmic force shows its will sometimes through... Um, when you're watching these movies, you hear the force theme when something happens and, yeah. and cosmic force is like, yes, this is supposed to be happening. Um, and I think that that does have a will and sometimes it'll show through, but then you have to also like kind of figure out like cosmic force is different than people using the force. And right. Right. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think it comes down to, you know, it, it, how you define balance. For me, balance doesn't mean equal light to equal dark. For me, balance mm-hmm. means a lack of conflict, you mm-hmm. know, and, and generally what I find in Star Wars, or at least just, that's just how I interpret it. We find balance when we, when we listen to our hopes instead of our fears, you know, when we listen to our fears, it creates conflict within us and it creates conflict in the galaxy. Um, you know, later we'll, we'll see Padme, um, you know, she, she listens to her fear. She's afraid for her people. So she calls for that vote of no confidence, which like, you know, of course, you know, we sympathize with Padme, her, her people are suffering and dying, but you know, she, she says like Chancellor Valoran seems to think there's hope and Insidious is in the background going, no, there's no hope. This is no, just get him out of here. That's the only way. So Padme gives into that fear yeah. instead of, believing in her hopes and then that creates you know conflict in the galaxy because she you know and gave rise to that conflict in herself and so i i think i think when i when i talk about the force acts through our goodness i think the force wants us to you know to listen to our hopes and to create that balance Mm -hmm. it's not about like well the dark shouldn't exist and no the dark does exist but we have to to balance it you know that's true that's right sometimes i i think of it like what would Bendu do? Sure, um, yeah. You know, if we... That's true. I love I love Bendu so much and that whole arc with the spiders. And I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched Rebels, I'm just assuming. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. But, like, just this, like, what would Bendu say about this whole thing? Would he yeah. tell Qui-Gon to stop it? Or would he just kind of watch it all happen? So, it, it, again, like, the the will of the people versus the will of the... It, yeah, it's... I don't even know if anyone understands it. (laughs) Whoever understands it, please come find me. (laughs) There's so many ways to look at it. Once you have truly, truly understand that, then you kind of disappear and and all that's left is your clothes and you become a person. True, true, true. So, yeah. Anyways, can I do my three fun facts about the pot race? Go for it. First thing we hear a Jawa say, Utini. (laughs) <laughs> all they say is Udini. Um, you see Aura Singh up on yes, the like, yeah, nest, yes. which is like super random, but she's just there. She's there. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna shoot some. I don't know if anyone else has played the Lego Star Wars games, but he, the way he hits the poles when he goes up off the service ramp is the way you collect coins in that level, and I love that they did that. <laughs> Anyways, great. those are my those are my three pod racing tidbits. <laughs> Thank you, Megan, for the pod racing tidbits. Okay, so next after that, they win the pod race and yay, happy uh, celebration and the cute little moment where Anakin's on Qui Gon's shoulders. Absolutely adorable. I love that oh, so much. Gosh. His daddy figure. Oh, thanks. So and when happy. Shmi kisses him and he's like, blah. Accept <laughs> it because you're about to not see her ever again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he sees her 
picture again, but it's way worse. <laughs> Why did I say that? Okay. No, no. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, yeah. Annie? Getting to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's sorry. coming up. <laughs> That's coming up. Okay, so after the pod race, um, they celebrate, and Watto has an issue with it. He's like, you cheated. It wasn't a fair bet. Then he's like, uh, you want to discuss this with the huts then? So he's like, <laughs> uh, no, take him. Whatever. You're good. So... <laughs> Uh, Jabba's also asleep when the pod race ends. Just see. oh wait, yeah. a small aside. Go ahead. Um, you know, Shmi has that moment with Anakin, and we were just talking about hope versus fear, which oh, yeah. also love a symbiotic relationship, maybe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's hope to those but yeah, that's what I was about to say. Shmi has this line. It says, "You brought hope to those people who have, who have none." Yeah, you. and um, it's just, and and then and. Uh, Padme says we owe you everything, and Anakin says I don't, I don't know if I don't know if this is a deleted scene or not, but um, says something about like just like how I'm feeling now is like worth it all or something like that, and um, it's just uh, I, yeah I, I do think that is might be a deleted scene, but this whole is. line about hope um, it's it's all it's always interesting whenever they mention that in Star Wars because it is really important, mm-hmm. and Anakin bringing hope to these the small group of people through the pod race is, is so cute. And so me and Anthony's yeah. like, I could just watch a whole movie of them talking. <laughs> so uh, just catch me sobbing about Darth Maul. <laughs> yeah, where's your <laughs> <Shmi> novel? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so they, they leave the pod racing area and this is where, I don't know who wants to take this, um, the whole... Shmi and Qui-Gon interaction that they have once they're at home. Um, they're staring into each other's eyes. Yeah. He puts oh his hand on her shoulder and it's so nice that he says, you're going to be all right. Like, ah. Well, because oh. he says, like, I didn't come here to free slaves. And she knows that. Like, like she never thought that he was there to free them. But she, like, just the level of acceptance is so profound because she just knows. She understands. He doesn't have to explain it. He doesn't have to, like, you know, beg. There are no tears. She just accepts it. It's also mm-hmm. sad, though, because she accepts it. And she's been conditioned. Right, no, it's- she's been conditioned all her life to accept it, though. So that's, right. like, I mean, that's explained. But I, like, she's, she is, like, this embodiment of hope for her son in this moment when she finds this out. Is like, she, she has, she knows he has these dreams of seeing um, all the, you know, all the stars and visiting all the planets and everything. And um, she knows that he's meant for more. And so she just is so full of hope for him. And, you know, as the audience knowing what happens, it's like, ah. (laughs) So this is the last time then right here when Anakin comes in and asks, he's like, what about you? You know? And like you were saying, you know, she's accepting. She's like, I'm, basically tells him, like, I can't go with you, you know, and Anakin is, like, he's sad, you know, because he's gonna miss his mom, he's nine years old, he's, she's the only, she's the only goodness, really, that he's ever known, and it's sad that he has to leave her, but she's, like, the choice is, this path is yours alone, you know, this is, this is your choice, and the fact that she gives her nine-year-old son that choice is crazy, but... At the same time, it's awesome because she understands, and it's sad. And then she has this moment with him where he's, he's like, saying, I want to stay with you. I don't think it's a change. And then she's, like, 
she mentions that like you can't stop change right that if if Anakin had like really learned this like deep down in his heart then maybe you know all the stuff with um trying to stop Padme from dying or whatever would not be because because in Star Wars it seems so much that the idea of death is just a change you're just changing from one form to the other yeah to becoming one with the force and if Anakin had just kind of come to the you understand this that it's you're just changing then and and can't stop it then maybe his life would have been happier I think that's interesting how I just made that a connection in my head how that parallels with Ben Solo actually with his whole let the past die thing moving on and letting go of the old and stepping back into the new even though kind of he's kind of hypocritical about that because he doesn't do it himself <laughs> he says but, it, but yeah right. <laughs> saying and doing are different <laughs> right but the idea is the same even though he doesn't necessarily do it that he says it in that parallel that parallels Smee's Smee's line you can't stop the change any more than you can stop the suns from setting so mm-hmm. yeah there was that and this poetry it rhymes like George yeah. <laughs> so after that um Anakin packs up and he's talking to 3PO. You've been a great pal. And he has to leave. Well, make sure mom doesn't sell you or anything. (laughs) And she doesn't sell him either. She still has him. I know. Thank goodness. Or else we wouldn't have a Skywalker. There's this cute little line uh, in, I think it's the Attack of the Clones novelization where Shmi's like thinking in her head about the attachment that she has to him is because, and that's the last thing that she has of Anakin, I think, that he made. Oh. And it's really sad, but it's really cool. Oh. And getting back to it, okay, so now he packs oh, up and he leaves, or he's going to leave. There's that last moment that he has with his mom. And he gives her, gives her a hug. This, I always sad. sob uncontrollably during this scene. That's just it. Just that is it. That is that is the attachment. That is his downfall right there in front of you. He goes back for another hug. That is the reason he turns into Darth Vader right there. <laughs> he can't accept the change. Nope. And he can't detach. And that's why he's too old to be a Jedi. Not because he's not good enough. It's because he still loves his mother too much. It's because he's formed the attachment. But we'll get into that in a few minutes. We're try- I'm trying not to like drag on too much anymore. But it's hard. <laughs> I can do this all day. It's yeah. hard. Okay, so they leave. Uh, or they almost leave. Because <laughs> they're getting on the ship. And... Oh boy, here comes Darth Maul. Alright, so here comes uh, Satan battling Jesus, and I mean Darth Maul battling Qui Gon in the desert. <laughs> it's in the desert. But seriously, and, uh, Jesus co- had his temptation scene with with Satan in the desert. I mean, coincidence? I don't think so. I think not. <laughs> I think not. But yeah, that's it's the first documented interaction between the two um, in most in Jedi Star Wars. Yeah, yeah is, oh, Jedi and symbiotic go. relationship. Hair? No hair? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's I love great. that he just comes. Rolling up on his motorcycle, and he's I know. Like, I am gonna stop. Like his motorcycle just boom takes off without him. 
Like, you know, when he jumps uh, off. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I've always thought it's odd. Why did he only ignite one part of his lightsaber, one half? Why didn't he do the other one? I assume oh, it's easier, especially with like one combatant, right? Because he was only <laughs> fighting Qui-Gon, so it's easier to fight one blade with one blade, right? Yeah, the, but, the but, double but, but, blade but, saber is defensive, yeah. It's it's uh, for fight specifically for fighting too. It's it's a more defensive, the one saber is more aggressive. Okay. Yeah. It just like came out of nowhere. I was like, well, "Pow!" So like, I would yeah. I would attack with one lightsaber. Uh-huh. Most likely, to well, chop off my own my arm. I mean, the double bladed saber thing—that's a real good way to get cut in half. I know. I, okay, <laughs> I don't even mean it like as a joke. Like, okay, yeah, it, oh, it's Darth Maul, so of course he's gonna get cut in half. But I mean, like when you are swinging that thing around, that is just that is an excellent yeah. way to like just accident accidentally cut off your own leg. I will never be a Jedi because I would lose all my limbs. <laughs> yeah. I love these like these like a behind the scenes stuff where Ray Park like has to explain to George Lucas where it's just all like you know because he George Lucas wanted it to be a regular lightsaber hilt where it comes out of two and Ray Park is like I can't see I can't swing it I can't twirl it without you know it needs to have a longer hilt and George Lucas is like Ugh, fine <laughs> <laughs> have it your way fine go ahead. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. So, and I think, I think, yeah, that's why they he only ignites the one side is because that's more aggressive and it's perfect for fighting, you know, one opponent. And then also, it, it makes the dramatic reveal at the end of the movie cooler, unless of course right. you've like seen all the commercials and you already know. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. You got your no spoilers crowd. You still have to please them. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Okay, so after that, they he. He doesn't really defeat Darth Maul. Nobody really defeats anybody. He just kind of like jumps just to run away. Ship. Yeah, Darth he runs. Oh my gosh, He's Darth like, Maul had him on the run. Like you see, we, it's it's very quick shots, and there's just the one really the 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 backed up shot, <laughs> the landscape shot where we see Darth Maul pressing Qui Gon back and back and back and back. Like, yeah, he 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 would have won like so easily, but Qui Gon's like, I got to get out of here. Qui Gon's like, he I'm going. Away. Like, go, Anakin, tell them to take off. I'm coming. <laughs> Yeah. Also, next, don't we? I, I don't know if you guys are done talking about the fight scene or not. Yeah, but yeah, next, yeah. We have like Anakin and Obi Wan meeting for the first time, which yeah. is like, <gasps> yes, we do, we do, we do, we do. And guess who's in the background witnessing it all? R two, R two D two. Again, again, again. But yes, they meet each other finally, and you're a Jedi too. Nice to meet you. His I'm Anakin. I'm reading. Says that one gives a boy a skeptical look. I know. <laughs> well, he does make the pathetic life form. Why do I feel like we picked up another pathetic life yeah. form? Oh, like only oh, one. How dare he? Uh, How dare he? And that just keeps repeating all throughout their relationship. Anyway, <laughs> so he was. I mean, he was taking shots at the kid before they even knew each other, before he even met him. Right. But anyway. Okay, so they're in the ship now. They took off. They're flying in space. And that's when we have the little moment with uh, Padme where Mm -hmm. she's watching the recording. Yeah, she's watching the recording of uh, C.O. Bibble, I think it was. Yep. Uh, you I must contact me. You must contact me. But and I, like, oh, her face because you can tell that she knows it's a trap, but she still is in so much pain. She's in so much pain. Because like, what if it's true? What if her people are suffering and just like she has to bear that alone in private when she's like not the queen? 
Yeah. And she, so she watches, she watches that. And then somehow her, I forgot how, but her attention turns to, to Anakin with Jar Jar. huddled in the corner. Yeah, Jar Jar's asleep, like with his feet up on the table or something like that in the corner. He's out, he's out. And Anakin's over there like, he's like cold and everything like that. And Padme's like, are you cold? And she's like, space is cold. (laughs) And she, she gives him the, she, she tucks him in. Ah, like he gives her the medallion. He's just like, and then he's like, "I got this for you. I made this for you. It's carved out of, J- of a Japur snippet or something like that. It'll bring you good fortune." And it's so cute. <laughs> I love it so much. And she's just like, "I don't need this to remember you by." Aww. Many things will change when we reach the capital, Annie. But my caring for you will remain. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Dear God. Love. It's love. <laughs> Definitely. That's it, just a sweet, tender moment between the two of them. And, Cause they're, and they're both so, I love how they're both, like, she's just in that handmaiden outfit, and she's just there, and he's just there, and it's just the two of them. And, yeah, Jar Jar's passed out on the table, but, like, <laughs> it's just, it's so simple. Yeah, it really is. And I bet R2-D2 is somewhere in the corner witnessing that as well. But anyway, so <laughs> they go through that. Um, I'm sorry, I just had a vision of, like, uh, a talk show, like, R2 tells all, spills all the secrets, and him just, like, going on to some, like, trashy <laughs> daytime talk show. Would he do that, though? I think he would. Yeah, he would. I think he would, yeah. A chance to talk shit about people. <laughs> but, okay, so next part is when they finally land on Coruscant. Finally. We're finally to that part. And I had I had a little note about this. Um, have you guys read Lost Stars? Yes. Yeah. So you know when they get to Coruscant and Thane is like unbelievably overwhelmed because uh-huh. he has never left his planet before and here he is on Coruscant. I'm imagining Anakin's like, because he looks kind of like Spazzing jaded out. the entire time. Oh, yeah. But can you imagine being nine years old, living on Tatooine your whole life and then like, going to Coruscant? Like, <laughs> that must have been the, the craziest trip ever. Major culture Anyways. Stuff. Major culture shock. So when they when they pull up to Coruscant, uh, they there's like this shot of a creepy shot of Palpatine when they land on Coruscant and he's just there like this ominous look like hmm, hi I'm here. You know, we finally get the first shot of him, and the way it's set up, he's meant to that shot that camera angle is meant to obviously the way it's set up. It's meant to portray him as, like, a mysterious sort of figure, especially with the music that's going on in the background. And, obviously, we know why. Because he's actually... <laughs> spoilers, Darth Sidious. But, yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. What? So, yeah. Crazy. So, they land on Coruscant. And he... The Chancellor Valorum is down there, too, I think. I don't know, and mm-hmm. that's when Padme or Sabe actually, because now she's mm-hmm. back as her decoy. Um, that's when Sabe meets with uh, Palpatine and Valorum, and they're like, "We'll we'll get this worked out quickly, milady, or whatever." Um, there are some procedures to go through, but I'm confident uh, we can overcome it. <laughs> I think when she actually meets with them, it's Padme again. No, I think it's only Sabe on the platform right yeah it's Sabe on the platform yeah on the platform once I actually like get inside and do the meeting I think yeah. it's Padme it is yeah okay. that's Padme inside yeah it is yeah yeah 
So, yeah, after that, Jar Jar makes a comment about how the queen is pretty hot or something like that. I don't know. Like, the queen's being grossly nice. Misa thinks pretty hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, stop Friendship it, Jar Friendship is there. It's happening. Stop it, Jar Jar. <laughs> Naughty boy. And then it continues. <laughs> it continues on. They, I think this is, is correct me if I'm wrong, because this is, I'm, I'm getting fogged up. Uh, is this where the Padme meets with Palpatine right here? Mm-hmm. Yes. And Padme meets with Palpatine after that, yeah. Yeah, and you can you can see in the windows behind her, it's the same balcony as um, Darth Maul and Sidious were talking on before. Yeah. Really? At the beginning. Yeah, it's the exact same balcony, which is just like <laughs> another clue. If you were just all like, oh, this Palpatine guy, I don't know about him. <laughs> like, he was literally oh, like geez. an hour ago talking to Darth Maul out on that balcony. That's funny. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Okay, that's super cool. And this yeah. is when he manipulates the crap out of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She specifically oh, she's said. Compassionate. I can use that to, like, <sighs> Yeah. He's like basically she, saying that, like, your choice is to, like, follow my advice or to accept the Trade Federation. And she's like, well. Yeah. Like, well, I guess we're just going to let them occupy you. Oh, well. <laughs> she's just like. Yeah. Anyways. So that, in that meeting, not, not too much happens besides Palpatine, I think, tells her something about how. It's like the Senate is full of squabbly greeting de- greedy delegates and such like, and stuff like that, like, like yourself. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, and they talk about that, and there's like chance. That's when he starts planning like seeds of doubt in her mind about Chancellor Valorum and his capability to uh, be able to help act, fix the yeah. situation and act on it. And that's when he's just like, you know, you could vote for put in for a vote of no confidence in the Supreme Chancellor. And she's just like, but he's right, been our he, strongest supporter. He's our strongest supporter. Well, and yeah. I, it's also important that because she believes in politics, like mm-hmm. that's always been her. Like she was, she was trained in diplomatic courts, right? Like that's what it's called. She was raised yeah. to be a politician, so she believes politics work. And here's this guy saying, like, oh, the Senate doesn't do anything; they're useless. We need to <laughs> replace it all. And it's just like that's like that's shady. <laughs> Her face yeah, the entire shady. time is just like she's just like looking at him like really like the entire time he he's talking in this yeah. scene like are, are you is this really coming out of your mouth right now but so yeah that's pretty much what happens in that scene um uh I, I'm still a little bit foggy so after that I I believe that's when Anakin the, comes in trying to is that when no 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 it switches it switches to the Jedi yeah. Temple that's right okay yeah. so Jedi Temple. Who wants to take that? Um, well, that's when, you know, Mace Windu has his little iPad in his hand with a stick on it, and he's all, like, showing the images, and Anakin's like, that's a ship, that's a speeder, that's, that's a, a cup. cup, and then, you know, he does everything to prove that he is, in fact, capable of becoming a Jedi, and then they all sit around, and they're all like, mm, no. like, hmm, I don't know. Um, How few and, you? And Qui-Gon's all like, well, I'm going to do it anyways. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then Obi-Wan's all like, don't defy the council again. And he's like, I will oh, do well. what I must, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Actually, I think this is a, a scene, a different scene before this testing scene that's next is them talking about um, the Sith Lord. And, yes, you are um, right. Yeah, you're right. And then talking about the Midi-Koreans. And then they're like, can you bring Anakin? And then Anakin tries to go find Padme. <laughs> And then after that is when um, that happens. 
Um, the he finds Padme after the I'm trying to decipher my notes here. <laughs> it all happens within the same realm of time. Yeah, because right, afterwards yes. they tell him no that. Anakin leaves, he goes ahead and pass me, and then that's when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan have the Qui-Gon don't, Qui-Gon yes conversation. <laughs> what I think is, like, super interesting is that, you know, uh, the 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 counts are like, okay, we're not, he's too old, can't train him. Like, Anakin has done everything he's supposed to do to, like, give these guys a hint that he's the real deal, that he's, you know, really super special, and maybe they can make an exception in, you know, their their rules and and they're like no and Qui-Gon says well then I'll train him and Yoda says an apprentice you already have impossible it is for you to take a second and I think that's so interesting and it's so it's so indicative of where the Jedi are at this point that you know because when when we as an audience first saw Yoda he was trying so hard to show Luke that there's no such thing as the impossible you know, Luke tells it, you know, you ask the impossible and then Yoda shows him, no, there's no limit. The limit's in your mind. Right. But here we have a Yoda who is like, wait, 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 wait. You want to teach two people? You want, hang up, hang How up. How crazy is that? Two? That, no. That's impossible. How dare what you suggest you? such a yeah, thing? Yeah, how dare you? Like the disrespect. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, that is just so... I, I well, think it's, it's important, and I think it gets overlooked a lot that that this is a Yoda that believes in the impossible, which is that's that's no bueno. It's, it's no way. Bueno. <laughs> well, I think it's also, but this is also Yoda who's afraid because this is a Yoda who senses the future, so he's he's going against his, what he knows because he's afraid, and that's like even Yoda gets scared of you know the potential of dark. That's true. I, that is kind of true. Maybe he's hesitant because he's. They're all hesitant because they're just like, no, he will not be trained. He's too old. That's their that's their whole thing. Like with it. that's the reason. That's Isn't the reason. it also true that around this time that the Jedi can sense that there's some kind of shrouding um, veil over the Force that mm-hmm. they're kind of uh, disconnected from it at this point. So, um, especially Yoda um, having this experience where there's they they know that something is happening, but they they can't access it and they and i think that that's maybe you know there's fear there as well right. a lot of fear here's this unknown well, like anomaly so what well, are they like i think maybe that's more in attack of the clones when yeah. they when they okay. realize that there's this shroud and we can't see past it the right. dark side exactly. is bad but and i think in this uh-huh. movie it's Here's more about the arrogance yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah. Right. I, but I they also but well, I think in this movie, yeah, it's more about their their arrogance and that, you know, when, when Yoda looks into the future, he says, uh, hard to see the future is. I, I, I think it's more about they think they know everything because the, the Sith could not have returned without us knowing it. You know, it's not that if for me, it's not that they're afraid because they can't see anything. I think that's that's later on. That's 10 years down the line. Right now, they think that they can see everything. And, and you know, they just... The, the fact that that somebody could, could you know come along and, and, and be a Sith and they didn't see it coming—that's impossible. That's silly talk. Well, and uh, I mean, this is right after they have the conversation about you know Darth Maul, and they're like, "Well, is this mm-hmm. the is this the leader, the apprentice?" And they're all like, "I don't know." But if I were 
you know, Yoda, who was just presented with the fact that there is a Sith running around, and here's this anomaly force child who's like, you know, potentially really, really, really powerful. I don't know if I would let him in. I'd be like, wait, let's see if there are any Sith Lords running around first, and then we will talk about the child. <laughs> yeah, it's a bigger problem. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, the, the fear that it's it's the fear that drives it all. Fear and arrogance, I would say. Like Katie mm-hmm. said, yep. it's arrogance as well. Arrogance drives it. I'm having old, old, angry Luke in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking over here. Yeah, yeah. it's very, very relevant as we look at the prequels. Um, what Luke is saying is going to help us kind of in- interpret it because sometimes the prequels are um, not so uh, great at interpreting themselves. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like you said, you know, the Jedi were, were deified and they were the ones who allowed Darth Sidious to rise. And, you know, it was their fault. It's true. They were blinded by their arrogance, you know. So, continuing on. Um, now, I think now is the time where, after all that stuff with the Jedi Council goes on, Anakin goes in to try to find uh, Padme. And, am I right? She's, like, physically pained that she has to say she's not there when it's her. I know. Like, her face, she looks like she's about to cry. It's like, like... She wishes you her best. I know that she sends you with her good wish or whatever, but, like, she's like, ah! I'm sure her heart goes with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So sad. But, so, right after that is where Padme gets her moment in the Senate. And this is such a great, great Padme moment, but it's so... I hate it at the same time because of yeah. Palpatine in the background just oh. looming over her, like, literally in her ear. Now they will elect a new chancellor, a strong chancellor. And so Enter like, the bureaucrat. Like, get get out of my face, you know? She looks at him, like, from the corner of her eye, like, meh, <laughs> you know? But, yeah. So she she's com- just devastated, and all this stuff is happening in front of her that she can't control, and it's just wrong. Like, it's, a, it's, it's wrong. The Trade Federation's denying that they're invading her planet when they... 100% are invading her planet. I don't understand, though, why on Earth... It, it, it's probably something with... They're bought out by the Trade Federation or something like that. Something wrong's going here. But the reason that... How Chancellor Valorum and his... Uh, his whatever they're called next to him. The, the bureaucrats next to him. Um, how they kind of, like, pull him over, like, right after Padme said... After they all said that, you know, I demand that a commission, you know, be sent to ascertain the truth. And that Chancellor Valorum's about to say something, but then, like, the bureaucrats pull him over, and then Palpatine's like, enter the bureaucrats, you know? Uh, right. Why is it that they give so much credence to the Nemordian, the Trade Federation, and Malastare? Well, I mean, I, I understand it's two against one. Possibly that's fair. Honestly, I do. But, I mean, there has there's something else going on here. Like he says, you know, they're corrupt. The Senate is corrupt. Most likely somebody's bought out somewhere in the process. And go ahead, Katie. You want to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Palpatine makes a point to tell Padme that the bureaucrats, the two standing next to Palpatine, are in the pocket of the Trade Federation, which essentially means that they're in Sidious's pocket as well. Like, he, he's right. manipulating all of them. But, of course, you know, Padme doesn't God. know that. And so when the Trade Federation, you know, the, these two bureaucrats, of course, are going to protect the interests of the Trade Federation because that's where their money is coming from. Right. Okay. And, and Valorum... He is in charge. He could tell these two to shut up. Yeah. But he's a weak-willed person. He yeah. doesn't have that conviction. And that's why, 
you know, that's why Palpatine is all like, well, now we'll elect a new chancellor, a strong chancellor. You know, the idea is that he's someone who can, you know, wrangle the bureaucrats and it doesn't matter how much money they tempt me with or how much, you know, that that's the idea, at least, is that, you know, if Valoran was a stronger, more principled person, he could keep these people in line. But we see that that it it really does just crumble. And in that moment, Padme has the choice to either, you know, this is all out of her control and that's a horrible, terrible situation to be in, but she can either go with her fears or with her hopes and, and she goes with her fears and, and I don't blame her. It's such a terrible, horrible situation. Of course she, she's going to do whatever she can to resolve this situation now. Right. But it's just it's just so sad. It's a tragedy. <laughs> I will not defer. I I want this attack on my sovereignty solved now. You know, she wants yeah, it done right. it. She wants results. And but sometimes the best results mm-hmm. don't come from immediate action. And yeah. unfortunately, that's what she chose. But honestly, what was mm-hmm. there for her to choose? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, like you said, yeah, there was people no might have died. You know, probably would have died. You know, if she had delayed. You know, that would have meant more. More. Nubian deaths, you know, more deaths on her hands, you know, her people. And that's awful, you know, so it is hard. <laughs> I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. So that's where we finally get, she puts in for a vote of no confidence uh, for the, mm-hmm. for the chancellor. And honestly, I've heard a lot of people blame Padme uh, for, I think somebody addressed this earlier, but a lot of people blame Padme for uh, Palpatine eventually rising to power. They forget that Palpatine was yeah, one right. of three, uh, three possible candidates for mm-hmm. uh, the being the cha- becoming the chancellor, and it was the Senate as a whole that voted on it. So honestly, it's everyone's fault. It's everyone's yeah. fault. It's not. You can't just put it on one person. Definitely don't put it on Padme because it's not her fault. Yeah, exactly. No, like, I, I mean, I'm all like, oh, Padme acted on her fears. How awful is that? No, I don't mean to, like, no, blame her. I, I agree. Yeah. You're not blaming her. I I, I understand what yeah. you're saying. I'm talking about other other people, you know, that say mm-hmm. that. But, um, yeah. but, yeah, so that's where, that's where the beginnings of Emperor Palpatine starts. You know, yeah. that's where yep. he finally gets his foot in the door. He's like, yes, I've been waiting for this moment. Here it comes. And <sighs> so, yeah, here it comes. He gets all excited. But, um, so yeah, so it's not her fault, not Padme's fault. Yeah. So Padme ends up, she leaves this, and she is understandably very discouraged, uh, and she has this moment, uh, on Coruscant at night, where she's standing by the window, and I fell in love with this moment so much, I had to, I, I, I ended up, uh, I, I did an art piece on it a while back, but I... I love that moment because it's just her looking out the window again. It kind of mirrors that one mi- moment where, she, uh, mm-hmm. where she was at the beginning of the Phantom Menace, where she was looking out the window like that. Um, I think that it's kind of, I don't know. I just really love that moment because like I said, it's, it's like her- she's a spectator in her own story and she's, she can't control it because there's someone else controlling her, everything. And right. she's just, you know, but see, stuck. <laughs> this is the moment though where she is able to take it in her own hands, and yes. this is where she starts formulating the idea. Gungans get pasted too, eh? You know, where she's talking with with Jar Jar, and yeah. I think that's so important. This, so this is where Padme's plan starts to come into into full fruition. And after this, um, this is where they finally put a, a plan together to leave and 
somehow to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Anakin end up going. And mm-hmm. that's where Anakin asks, I think, uh, something about what he's... There's, like, they talk about midichlorians right there, right before they get on the ship. I was wondering, what are yeah. midichlorians? Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Let's do some exposition before we do the final battle here. <laughs> right. Well, and when Padme leaves, like... That was not part of Palpatine's plan. Like, he's been right, ready right. to stop her from leaving. Like, wait a second, no, you're going to mess this up. Don't go well, anywhere. And she's like, no, nah, I'm leaving. Bye. That's what he <laughs> says, too, when he's talking to the Nemordians, uh on the planet. He's like, this is an unexpected move for her. Um, right. That's what he tells them. Because so. they underestimated her. Yeah. So they leave. And on the ship, everybody's like, I'm not sure what you wish to accomplish by this, you know. I can't fight a war for you, you know. Everybody's telling her, like, how it's not going to work. We have no army. And Padme just sitting there like, yeah, okay, Jar Jar, I need your help. And, yeah, like, okay, Jar Jar, I don't want to talk to you guys. Jar Jar, come here. And so they they put that plan together uh, with all of them. And what happens is they, they it's all pretty much just a bunch of planning. And then they land on the planet. That's when they meet... Um, they meet Boss Nass, and Padme reveals herself as the queen, and not. I Sabe. love Sabe's like ninja outfit in that scene. <laughs> yeah, like same. Padme revealing herself as the queen was always like my one of my favorite scenes when I was a such kid. a power move. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> Definitely, it's so iconic too. And that look that Obi Wan and Qui Gon gave each other in the background, like, like, Qui Gon's just like. <laughs> And Anakin looks so surprised as Anakin's well. Anakin's like, like, huh? huh? <laughs> what? Oh, man. It's like, remember when Qui-Gon said to her face, the queen doesn't have to know. Yeah. You assume too much. And we haven't really touched on that, but this whole movie, Qui-Gon and, and Padme have some an interesting, like, different battles of the wills. I um, love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, they're just, they're two salt queens going at each other. Right. Which is just so good. <laughs> It's, it's always just always interesting to see how like he's he's just oh it, it almost feels like he's like downplaying her you know or you know it's whatever I'm not even gonna listen to you and right. then you know, at this moment where she's like I've been a queen <laughs> definitely so after after the big reveal um, that's when the I think it switches over to. I, I don't know if it was before this or after this, but where the Nemordians are talking to, to Palpatine, and he's mm-hmm. like, I will send my apprentice Darth Maul, or something like that. And I, 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 I'm pretty sure, I don't know, Katie, is, is he is he here during this part already? Oh, yeah, he's back. He's here right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because so, he shows up in the hangar. <laughs> And then Padme's like, we'll take the long way. And they just, she just like is unfazed completely and just like walks. She's like, away. okay. <laughs> she drives off standing in front of we'll her. We'll go this way. We'll go this oh. way. Yeah. So uh, just a bunch of, a bunch of planning really. A um, bunch of talking between the Gungans. <gasps> oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, <laughs> a bunch of talking between the Gungans and the, uh, the, and and the people, and, <laughs> and they, 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 they plan this grand, you know, scheme, this battle, and then they, 
what is it? This oh, is when Captain Tarples makes Jar Jar a general. Yeah. And the bomb bad the, general. Bomb the, bad general. <laughs> the way Jar Jar changes, like he becomes so intelligent and capable when he sees people actually believe in him, and it's just so precious that he's just like, wait me and they're like yeah and he's like well great and he like actually does a good job like he rallies his troops he takes i mean like granted he does totally make a mess and spill all the giant balls of things yeah and, but like it works it's fine it works but he, like, yeah it doesn't take he, away his clumsiness confident no. jar jar is my favorite jar jar because he's like wait a second you guys want me here and it's so cute it is it really is so yeah so we're already pretty much in the battle area. There's like yes. a whole bunch of sneaking around with um the the jet the Jedi, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon and all of and Padme taking back the castle. The real battle, while the fake fake battle kind of is going on between the droids and the Gungans uh somewhere else on some green field. And <laughs> then they, there's that. So they get to the palace and like you said, there's when Darth Maul is revealed. Uh, the doors open. <laughs> la, la, he's right there. Uh, so, yeah. Are, have you guys ever looked into the lyrics of the door? Yes, face? I have oh, them right she, here. Notes, I have it right here. Okay, good. I have them right Someone here. Someone mentioned them because it's important. Okay, so the Duel of the Fates music is like ridiculously important here. So I'm going to read a few it's of the also lines. Like the best. Yeah, I'm going to read a few of the lines. I'm probably going to butch them like super bad, but. Here goes. So it goes, uh, Kora Mata Kora Ratama. And it kind of repeats, and then it goes, Kora Danya Kora Ratama. Then it does something else, Ni Nihowa Kila Kora Ratama. Kora Ratama, all the time, all the time. Keeps going with that. Saidao Kila Kora Ratama Kora. That's it. Bunch of gibberish, not really. It's actually <laughs> translated. John Williams found a translation, uh, and he selected lines 32 of, through 35 from a medieval Welsh poem, Cad Gaudu, which means the Battle of the Trees. Uh, this text was translated into English by Robert Graves and published in 1948 as part of The White Goddess, a historical grammar of poetic myth. So lines 32 through 35, which John Williams selected, read in English as this. Under the tongue root, a fight most dread, and another raging behind in the head. That's pretty cool. That's so cool. <laughs> that is definitely it's so great. And uh, is one obviously the fight is in Anakin's head, right? I, well, I, I, I interpreted it as you know, there's the physical fight going on right now, but then the right. fight behind the scenes is the one that we can't see, right? Because yeah. it's you know. It's the we can't see ruling. it because Palpatine's about to do it. <laughs> right. But also, you know, the prequel trilogy being about um, Anakin's fall mm -hmm. and the fall of the Republic also um, being the fall of the Republic, a fight most dread, and Anakin's fall being a fight that's happening in his head as yeah. well. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, I think the way the uh, the Duel of Fates is used in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, I think, I think yes, it's uh, the, the fight inside the head is about Anakin, about him between the light and the dark. For me though, in this movie, I read it as, as Obi-Wan. This is about the foundation of the, of the training of the, the chosen one. It, you know, um, one, 
the the chosen one is going to be trained in one of two ways. It, it's either going to you know start with Qui Gon or it's going to start with Obi Wan, and um, the way the way Obi Wan approaches Darth Maul is is so terribly terribly important because he can either uh, attack as a Jedi should for no, you know with knowledge and a Jedi only uses the Force for knowledge and defense, right? Right. Never right. for attack. That's what Yoda says. But then. Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon Jinn and all all impassiveness like goes out the window. All neutrality I goes mean, out the window. That look that like, Darth Maul gives him though, yeah. like right there when they're separated, he's like, he knows. He's like, Oh, what are you gonna yeah. do? Jedi? What you gonna do about it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like when the fight starts, you know, Obi-Wan is fighting Darth Maul to protect the queen. And but as soon as Qui-Gon dies, it's he's not fighting to protect the queen. He's not fighting out of defense. He's fighting to avenge his master. Yeah. Right. And it becomes it, the battle raging is is inside of him. And when he makes that strike, you know, that cut out of anger instead of, you know, out of defense, that gives rise, I think, to the darkness, you know, and then that's that's the foundation of Anakin's training. So that that's how I interpret that song in that scene. Definitely. That's so interesting. I, I honestly haven't thought that much about, um, like, Obi-Wan's journey mm-hmm. and what happens in this film because I personally am, like, so, so focused on <laughs> Anakin and Padme, my two favorites. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating to watch how, how Obi-Wan, you know, he goes from this kind of, you know, almost Anakin-like Jedi to who he becomes, you know, by the by the... A New Hope, right? you know, and, and especially if you look like in Rebels, um, you know, how it goes from, you know, how Obi-Wan faces Darth Maul in A New Hope versus how he finally faces him again in, in Rebels. It's it's a world of difference, like how he's able to, to approach this, you know, this evil and this hatred. You know, you can either match that evil with your own, that hatred with your own, or you know, be, be someone more passive and, and accepting and forgiving and you know, that's eventually who it becomes. Definitely. Well, and like you said, when he when he trans when it goes from using his power for defense and attack, the mm-hmm. the ray shields, he's not patient because he wants to no. be. He's yeah. patient because he has to wait for this physical object to get out of his way, and that's the only yeah. like when Qui Gon's waiting, he does it patiently, and you know you see mm-hmm. him meditate in that's that right. span of time. Yeah. Yeah. But once that like when that's the only thing holding Obi Wan back, he resents it. Yeah. And oh yeah. He shouldn't. He should be patient. He should be, you know, do as the force wills. But he is. He is not. He is impatient and resentful, and that's the only barrier. And then he attacks. Yeah. Like as soon as that barrier goes down, the way Obi Wan and Maul just rush at each other and clash. That's that's one of my favorite lightsaber moments, like ever. It's just you know the speed which they hit each other. Like yeah, as soon as that physical barrier is gone, it's just like they just rush to meet each other. It's so good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, Okay, so Darn Duel of the Fates, uh, like we said, it was a physical battle and also a spiritual uh, force, forceish one that we could read it mm-hmm. as. Um, during that, uh, oh, Qui Gon dies, and that's unfortunate. That's sad. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> poor, poor, poor Qui Gon. You know, but he he dies. Darth Maul gets shoved down a hole. Because he doesn't really die, he just gets cut in half, as we find out in Clone Wars. He's still alive. So, twist. yeah, good, good for all stands. So, <laughs> good for you, buddy. Yeah. you did it. You survived. You get a gold star. So, after you can come that, back in, you know, how many more movies? It's fine. Yeah. 
So Padme uh, takes back Naboo uh, with the help of her handmaidens and Panaka and some other And Anakin blowing up the Trade Federation. And Anakin blowing up the Trade Federation. I was about to address that. On accident. On accident. But <laughs> hey, it was awesome. He hijacks a ship and accidentally flies into the hangar and accidentally destroys it all. And they're all like, what just happened? I've always was thought it an it was, accident, or was it the cosmic force as well? I've always thought it was interesting, though, how he destroys it from the inside. How symbolic that is to me because of what he does oh, later on in his life. He literally destroys that thing from the inside, just like the Empire. Wow. In a way, he destroys it from the inside by killing. Uh, he destroys destroy a lot it. of things from the inside. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. But you know. That's also, the cute, like, him in the parallel. Yeah. What was that? I was just saying he destroyed the Jedi from the inside as well. Yeah. Yeah. And his, lots of things. But I like the, you know, Luke hitting the right shot to blow up the Death Star and, you know, Anakin hitting the right shot to blow up the, it's cute. Definitely. So cute. All right. So then after that, uh, Padme reveals herself to Gunray. As I said, they take back the capital. Uh, The Gungans... Uh, they they win victory. They all happy, happy cheer dance on the battlefield. The <laughs> the droid station blows up. The droids are inactive. They just slump over. Jar Jar kicks one just to make sure it's not working. And <laughs> then the one that he kicks has one one three eight on the back. Fun fact. Really? Yeah, I think it's when he kicks. Then yeah, it's That's when he cool. like hits to make sure it's dead. It, it, that one is the only one one three eight in the movie, but it's there. That's cool. And then after that, um, the movie pretty much wraps up. Uh, it shows. I never noticed that Yoda and Obi Wan were talking on Naboo. Yeah, I just thought the conversation was in was on Coruscant. I don't know why, because I just assume when they're talking in front of window yeah, on you Coruscant. Can, you can tell like the difference in architecture, like that and the chairs are the chairs the handmaidens are sitting in in the beginning. Yeah, it took me a minute. So yeah, they're 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 having that conversation. Um, it's pretty it's pretty pretty interesting, you know, what they're saying. Like Obi Wan's when like, they say the master or the apprentice, it pans to Palpatine. Yeah, well, yeah that's a like, yeah okay. And so <laughs> that's jumping ahead to the very oh, end. Oh, yeah. that's okay because we can yeah uh, we can go ahead and do that because we need to wrap it up here. But um, Qui Gon's death, where he dies, and you know he his funeral is like he's his body is being burned. And the parallel with that in Anakin as he's watching it, that's how Anakin is going to go. That's how his funeral thing happens. And I, 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 I literally caught that the other night when I was watching it. I was like, oh, I sat up and I was like, oh, my God. And I scared my dog. My dog was on the couch with me. And I literally like shot up and he's just like, what's going on? But yeah, and I was like, I can't believe I hadn't noticed that before. It's like, it's not new at all like i'm sure a lot of people have noticed it but like oh my gosh i never noticed that so yeah there's yeah, that it's crazy and then, how rewatching these movies how many parallels you can notice definitely yeah. and um after that or unless you guys want to spend more time on the um the funeral sequence we have that parade sequence and it's just like probably one of the happiest endings to yeah any Star Wars movie. <laughs> can i yeah. burst your bubble <laughs> i'm gonna burst your bubble so Someone pointed out this on Twitter, and I actually like listened to them both to compare. But the celebration music, uh, Augie's Great Municipal Band, or whatever it's called, it's a variation of the Emperor's theme in a major key. Oh dang! <laughs> yeah, it really is. If you if you listen to the Emperor, I listened to the uh, episode six track, but the 
it's it's a, it's a little bit inverted like it's definitely the same sort of thing oh my god i can hear it i'm sitting here replaying yeah. it in my head oh yep, my god so but it's it's still a really happy song it's wow. really great but it's right. also i was talking just, about visually but yeah that's that's yeah, no, visually it's beautiful <laughs> the boo is beautiful and it's yeah. great and the song the music is a lot of fun and the kids are singing but like it's also just the emperor the whole time wow well, i'm um, I'm hoping episode nine we have some kind of fun happy parade or something at the end. Please, happy fireworks ending. or something. Happy like. ending, please. Happy ending for everybody. Okay, <laughs> we go on. Everybody lives. Nobody dies. Okay. Right. And no creepy undertones. No creepy emperor undertones. I know. Yeah, yeah. that's all I want. Can do without that. So then, just DreamWorks dance party. That's all I want. Just DreamWorks, you know, like Hux is like break dancing in the corner and like, <laughs> there's confetti, you know. Uh, That'd yeah. be great. There's glitter raining down. Confetti. Definitely. They all have a happy, happy time. Happy time. And then, so that's it. The movie ends. Uh, they exchange uh, the orb of Peace or whatever it is. What's it called? It's got a specific name, doesn't it? Uh, pretty sure it's just the over peace, but oh, it's okay. Right. Global peace. Global peace. Okay, I was off by one word. All right, I so, want yeah. one. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. There's actually like this. My brother showed me the other day. He sent me a picture of like a um a craft book that he got, and it's got like a how to make an orb of peace or something like that. You put a <laughs> balloon in the freezer or something, and it works. <laughs> I don't know, but it's cool, oh. and I can't wait till he does it so I can see it. But yeah, that'll be that's really awesome. Fun. So that's it, and that's the end of the movie. With uh, Anakin has that little braid. He had his hair cut. There's a super Aww. cute, super cute smile exchange between him and Padme. Um, a few I know. Depa Baliba is there. Um, the, yeah, uh, the other long-eared little Jedi guy is there too. I forget his name. Uh, the one, the one that. that- the one that kind of looks like Yoda. He died in the Clone Wars. Yeah, him. Oh, uh, what's his face? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, can't I remember his no. name. But he's there. Um, bunch of Jedi there. And then it ends. And that's it. <laughs> 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 All right, guys, we made it through the entirety of The Phantom Menace. Give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> that was a long that's going to be a long podcast two hours and 56 minutes but thank you guys all so much for joining me um, you guys brought so much to the table and I cannot wait till our next episode which will hopefully be shorter but I don't see how it can be because the movie is <laughs> Cause longer because it's a tag of bones so long <sighs> yeah. so yeah we're going to we're going to have to plan that one um, but yeah we so, have to split it up yeah maybe I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. We'll see. So with that, um, I think we'll end it here. Uh, Thank you guys again, and I will see you guys next next episode. Um, Yeah, so signing out, I am Nettie, and these are my guests, and we will see you guys again uh, next episode. Bye!